That is the land of lost content, I see it shining plain. The happy highways where I went and cannot come again. Hello and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. I am your host, Rory McNamara, for what is our ninth annual edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast awards. In December 2001, we might well only have one company left to discuss, but what a 12 months they have given us alone, right? And it is our job now to finally decide on the very best and, oh yes, very worst, the last 12 months have sent forth for us. Trusted with this enviable task, as they are every year, we have Mr. Chris Lacey. Bonsoir. Mr. Chris White. Ready to batten down the hatches and prepare for some crisis. Mr. Eric Landstrom. Greetings from the States, gentlemen. And Mr. Dan Welling. What? (laughs) At least one of us has started early. Okay, before we we get started proper, a bit of housekeeping and an explanation of the format, otherwise known as the boring bit that most people skip. To the eight of you still here at this point, this is what we've got. A few weeks ago, I sent out a list of categories to all members of our esteemed panel, which covered the good and the bad of the last 12 months of US professional wrestling. In each of these categories, I asked the team to give me their top threes, to which I apportioned points accordingly. Three for their first pick, two for their second, and one for their third. When all votes were in, including mine to help increase the sample size, I added up all the scores, working them into the appealing list of final nominees you are about to hear. In as many cases as possible, I put through the top three highest scoring selections in each category. In a few situations, more than three choices made the threshold, so instead of worrying about seeding or count back or any of that utter bollocks, I put those through to the final reckoning as well. The team and I will then discuss each category in turn, giving our opinions on each of the nominations. And after a few minutes of deliberation, I will ask each of the guys to choose what they think is the very best or indeed very worst. And the choice with most votes then goes on to win the category. As this is the first year in which we ended it in an extremely different place to where we started it, I have made a couple of minor changes to some of the awards longtime listeners might have been hitherto familiar with. We have dispensed with worst show for reasons of quality. Biggest surprise, for reasons of brevity, and most importantly of all, future main eventer, for reasons of my own sanity. Nevertheless, this gives us 11 categories for us to really sink our choppers into over the next couple of hours, and it will begin after these very important pieces of rule confirmation. Number one, as Speaker of the House, sort of, this evening, I will only get a vote in the event of a tie, and I have no doubt my services will be called upon to do so at least once. And number two, Only those nominations that made it through to the final reckoning are eligible to be voted on. So if the panel's favourite, my favourite, and indeed, dear listener, your favourite thing didn't make it past the initial selection process, it cannot be victorious here. And yes, I've got quite the bee in my bonnet about that, as we will get to later. For now, though, let us begin, shall we? As is customary with our best tag team of the year. And here we do have three final nominations, and I'm sure you all know what they are, but in no particular order, they are the Hardys, the Dudleys, and at Doring and Roadkill? Lacey, I think you had better start us off here. What have we got? Really, what have we got? So, Hardys, Dudleys, the rest of you can wax lyrical about them, because we, we all know exactly what they are, and we know exactly how great they are. But I chucked in Doring and Roadkill on the concert, on the reasoning of that month that we got of ECW. They were the best thing in that dying month of ECW. Um, They finally getting the title win 
beating the FBI at the final ECW pay-per-view after a, a good year and a half of being fucking awesome and working so well. To me, I just felt they, they deserved that that little glimmer of recognition because they weren't brought into the alliance. I'm not sure that Vince would look at them and go, oh, that's good shit, pal, and bring them in. So they deserve to be here for the work that they did in that dying month. Eric, you also are responsible, and I choose that word advisedly, for during a roadkill making it onto this list. Uh, defend yourself, if you will, and what else you think of our top three? I have no, uh, really no different logic than than Mr. Lacey. Um, you look at the last DCW pay-per-view, Guilty as Charged, back in January, and you look at that card and you think, God, there's some good shit on here, right? You look at it, I mean, the main event, RVD versus Jerry Lynn, dud. Rhino versus the Sandman, dud. Sandman versus Carino, dud. And then you look up the card, and it's like the best match on the last WC on the last ECW pay per view was Danny Dorian and Roadkill beating what was it? Uh, Easy Money and uh, who else? Julio De Niro, I think. Like amazing, amazing match. And you know we had to in a, in some way or another not just have a WWF centric show because now we have a, a future of only WWF centric shows. And I do think this is a little bit of a, of a nomination. They're, they're not going to win, uh, but it's a nomination. Also, like Lacey said, recognizing their, their work in 2000 as well. And I know we're not necessarily supposed to do that, but it culminated perfectly in January. And honestly, they're a really good tag team. They're probably, too small to be in the WWF. I mean, we see this all the time with guys like Rhino and, and everybody else where the biggest guy in ECW is like six inches shorter than Billy Gunn. And I think, you know, Roadkill probably meets that same fate if they're if they're to come up. But I think it's good that um, we add them to this list. Now, the rest of it, you know, the Dudleys and, and the Hardys, you just take the two tag teams that had the best tag team matches over the course of the year, and it's them. Edge and Christian broke up, you know, and I think that, you look at the rest of the tag team division and I'm, I'm fearing that we're going to get a return to the, the, the bad times that our friend, Mr. White is very familiar with where it's a real thin tag division by the end of the year and only a couple teams, you know, coming out still attached to the hip and even the Hardys having a breakup angle. And where does that leave us? That leaves us with the Dudleys. Anything more to say on the Dudleys before we go on? I feel like we brushed past them from, Two people I wouldn't really expect to do so. So a bit more on the Dudleys, perhaps. I can't believe I'm the person saying that, but here we are. I just think you look at their body of work over the year and you look at all the the, the amazing car crash style matches. I mean, hell, even starting at the Royal Rumble where they had, a, a, I guess, a relatively normal tag team match. And you carry it through and they were able to work with, I think, didn't they work with Undertaker and Kane at one point, and it wasn't horrible. Something along those lines was that in February. And then obviously a match at Mania. And they've just carried through, and they, they've been the main event. That's not the right way to put it. They were the top tag team in the WWF, and then they were the top tag team in the Alliance. And I think by the end of the year, they're the only tag team that has any sort of main event credibility whatsoever. 
I've waxed lyrical about the Dudleys since 96. You know, they haven't changed or revolutionised anything this year. They're still the best tag team because they're still doing the same stuff that they always have. Um, and as Eric has said, when you get to the end of the year and you look at the, the tag team landscape and you go, but who's left? There, there is one there is one that's left and there's one that you know is going to carry on and that is them damn Dudleys. But that is a problem, isn't it? If you say they've broadly been the same give or take since 1996 and they walked onto this nomination list, that's quite the indictment, isn't it? But you could say the same for JR getting on the list every year for doing what JR does. Mm -hmm. If you are that good at something... You know, we, we don't, you don't scoff at when Man U are winning the league every year and then you see all the Man U players are in the best player of the year. Just, we we, just we, don't, we don't scoff at that, did you just say, Chris? Just for the avoidance well, of that, well, we don't scoff at that? Mm, okay. You just expect it. You know, they win the league. They've got, you know, the top scorer, the top assister. They get end of year rewards. You know, just because you're the best at something, you know, you don't have to revolutionise everything every year to still um, be great at your job. going forward. No more Man United references. You, yeah, you, you talked about them on this very show 12 months ago. And I fucking hate Man U, but, you know, it's an easy reference. <laughs> just in time, just in time. Chris White, you have a lot of fun with tag themes and have for the last many, many years on this show, so chime in with our list so far. Yeah, I, I want to bring a bit of I suppose perspective to the the Dudleys and Hardys talk that they're both very deservedly on this list in in my in my mind um, because despite where we are in December 2001 I think um, you you go back to WrestleMania and that T- TLC two and 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 as Eric mentioned the um, the tag match at the Rumble and both teams have a exceptional body of work that predates 2001 in the WWF and elsewhere in the Dudley's case but um has by and large been um consistent and one of the best parts in ring of what has been a less than stellar second half of the year in the WWF certainly by the first sort of like four months um the standard of that that we had with some exceptional shows and storylines and exceptional booking and as that's fell by the wayside, we've seen what the tag division can be without those guys in it. And I, I don't need the brothers of destruction in my tag division. And I don't need them holding those titles. And um, I, I suppose with the, the Hardys feel like they've, they've come towards the end of the cycle of that team. Now I know they've done the angle and obviously the, the match at vengeance and it doesn't feel like a particularly hot storyline. I, I was quite a fan of, of where it was going from Survivor Series and I, I thought the end of that match while it made Jeff look like an idiot made a lot of sense but they're on this list because they've been a consistent high point on, on near enough every pay-per-view when they're on it when they're featured on it and these teams are two-thirds of the one of the, the best car crash wrestling matches that I've ever seen um, and I think the Dudleys have got more left this iteration of the Dudleys than, than the Hardys do. The Hardys feel like 
they need a change. I'm not sure if splitting them up is good for either guy's long-term career prospects at this stage, but um, as a tag team, I feel like they've kind of reached the end of that cycle and the Dudleys are far more versatile. And we've seen a couple of iterations of them this year, which is why for me, they're the standout. We've seen sort of the Hill Dudley team that we've, that, that we expect to see and, and kind of like the storylines involving Spike and the, the their aggression towards him. Uh, we've seen like a baby face Dudley boy team that's been very, very good. And then of course they were a huge part of the Alliance and um, regardless of, what the the quality of that storyline and the rest of it at, at the end of the day their work much like uh, a few people were discussing in the mvp category has always been um a quality that's far far and above that of the booking and the storylines they find themselves in and dan round us off for our tag team selections yeah, I don't think I really want to go into much detail that hasn't been said by by the three other guys as well. I think by osmosis, by process of elimination, the Dudley boys are clear winners of this award. They're the only team left standing of the big three. And I don't think I'm as optimistic about the Dudley boys prospects going into 2002 compared to all the other guys as well. I just think they're probably next on the chopping block. And I think they'll probably hang around into WrestleMania and then... Vince will get his um, Vince will get his ultimate way and and split those two up as well because ultimately tag teams long term don't last in this company um, and I think we just have to be almost grateful that we had such a glorious kind of 18 month stretch from let's say No Mercy 1999 to TLC3 where we had these two of these teams on the list and then Edge and Christian split up and then we would have a slow downhill from there. Um, and I, I, I honestly think that's probably for the best, because I think that if we leave the memories alone, for lack of a better term, I think it would be worse off than having Dudley boys just kind of stagnating as newer teams come through. Or, and as you've seen, the Hardy boys, early indications are they are better as a tag team, but they're stale, um, judging by that vengeance match. So... For me, the boys are a clear winner for this award, and I'm hopeful that we will look back on these last 18 to 18 to 24 months with with wonderful spectacles, um, like we did with um, the great years of demolition, Heart Foundation, Rockers, etc., um, in the early uh, 90s and late 80s. Let's get some votes. So, from our list of the Dudleys, the Hardys, and Doring and Roadkill, Chris Lacey, who's your tag team of the year? Dudley boys never gets old not for us anyway Eric those goddamn Dudleys Chris White it's got to be the Dudleys and Dan to bring it home yeah Dudleys yeah despite my comments earlier I have no issue with the Dudleys winning this award it's not their fault is it it's everybody else who isn't being given a chance to step up, to put it as diplomatically as I can. Let's leave it at that. And I think the Dudleys have evolved a little bit this year. Their heel work, I think it needs to get a bit more praise. I like the fact that Devon Get the Tables has gone. I like the fact that What's Up has gone. I like the fact that they are working harder. They're working faster. They're working stiffer. And they need a lot of credit for that. I don't think 
the staleness is something they can be blamed for. Their performances, by and large, they can only work against who they're given, right, when they're not in the stud show matches, have been relatively solid. Yes, there is a question that anybody winning an award with such ease, not getting far beyond relatively solid at any point, that's a question that might need to be answered in the forthcoming years. But I can't blame the Dudleys for that. Or at least I don't want to, because they might be listening. But the Dudleys, in their award, take tag team of the year, in case you hadn't already guessed. Right, let's get on to award number two. This one might mix things up a little bit. It's time for our feud of the year. And again, we have three nominations to work from. We have the feud between Steve Austin and Kurt Angle, Chris Jericho and The Rock, and Steve Austin and The Rock. Dan, you can open us up with these three. Yes, so the... the two I voted for on this list are Austin Angle, Rock Jericho, which were some of the biggest highlights of the, you know, a, a pretty bad second half of the year, or well, certainly disappointing second half of the year. Um, I think the highest of the highs come easily from Austin Angle. That two-month stretch of um, August to September were fantastic. The, the babyface fire of Kurt Angle was amazing. Austin's heel work was probably at its peak with an actual proper, you know, legitimate guy to feud with and not some, you know, awful biker undertaker gimmick. Um, but as most things happened, I think it went on for too long and it fizzled out and you ended up with a really confusing mess at the back end of the year with the Survivor Series double agent angle and Austin deciding to just return to the old his old self and just for no reason whatsoever and then we end up with a pretty average uh, match and at vengeance compare that to rock jericho and i think that again they've just been consistently very good to excellent in that q4 period you if you want to see what a benefit of a great feud can be it's elevating someone who's been stagnating for you know, for 12 months to, you know, almost 18 months, if you want to push it um, in Jericho from being a very bland, going nowhere, baby face face to the undisputed champion of the world in a chicken shit heel. And I think the Rocks program with him has really elevated that to a believable level um, and top it all off. The matches were always excellent. The No Mercy match was very good to excellent. I think the Avengers match was even better. Um, and if you're telling me that you can't wait to see Chris Jericho's WCW, you know, chicken shit heel in 1998 elevated to main event level in WWF, then I don't know. I honestly don't know what to say to you. That was one of the most entertaining runs. And if we're going to get something like that now in w- with um, him as the world champ, fantastic. And it was his program with The Rock that did it. And it was a believable heel turn, in my opinion, anyway. Um, that turned one of the most beloved baby faces as a, into a heel through believable reasons. So for me, that's my vote. Chris White, what do you make of our feud of the year selections? <clears throat> yeah, so two of these um, were nominated by me, um, not the one that Dan seems the biggest on. So I'll, I'll leave that one in the back pocket for now. Uh, the first one I'm going to address is uh, the... Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock feud, which to me is is one of the biggest feuds in in wrestling history, not just within 
2001 and i i think the the week the weeks leading up to wrestlemania 17 was i saw some of the best wrestling television that i've ever seen in my entire life and it had those two and, and their feud at the heart of it it wasn't perfect it should be said i don't i don't think it was the perfect feud and i could have done with maybe one notch less of the of the Deborah stuff but both guys sort of overshadowed that in a way and I, and I think it's one of the biggest matches in wrestling history at one of the biggest shows in wrestling history but um, I don't know that many people would remember the Deborah stuff which to me shows that what they were doing sort of against each other aside from that and um, I mean we, we're going to talk about them again in later categories but the the sit down interview with jr and i mean it's 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 been so it's been so heavily played that it's almost become a cliche but the the my way video package in its own is like i would put that that sort of four minute video package ahead of like 95 percent of wrestling feuds that have ever existed just just those that four minutes and i think it is on a different level to other things that I've seen and in a way having two of the biggest stars in wrestling history both at their relative peaks face each other in like a babyface versus babyface match it, it it probably made the rest of 2001 just so damn hard for them like how can they follow that and I mean they they had the heel turn with Austin which was probably the best way because you have to pivot you can't you can't just do like a, a continuation of that you have to you have to make a change and try and make things different and obviously the invasion came into it later and maybe made things fall away further but for me um sort of Austin's run to getting back um the the title and that storyline and how determined he was and the 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 quote he says to JR about how he needs to beat the rock and and all of that it's just um it, it's some of the most iconic work that I've encountered as a wrestling fan so for me it has to be on the list um the second one that I think really is probably hard done by that for me rock and austin happened in this year is stone cold and kurt angle and i i think um Kurt Angle has just had a meteoric rise to the top of the card where he absolutely belongs and where he deserves to stay. And um, some of the things we've seen that storyline go through, again, um, the second half of this year is marred by the invasion and the alliance. And one of the biggest disappointments I've encountered as a wrestling fan is is that whole storyline. Um and how it played out but it speaks volumes to the, the work of Stone Cold Steve Austin and Kurt Angle that they were able to have such an engaging feud and, and give us so many so many memorable moments the match at SummerSlam was exceptional with a very very bad finish but it was a finish that I rightly noted at the time that worked so perfectly in the storyline um and and maybe I need to do a better job at times as well of of appreciating that not every pay-per-view needs to give me the cleanest, most um, sort of final of finishes to a match. It is okay to, to to build to the next one and to go again. And this is the epitome of it. We had the SummerSlam match, which was great um, until the, 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 the bad finish. But, but then we got the, 
Austin Appreciation Night and the uh, Milkomania, and we got the angle with Austin stealing his Olympic gold medals and throwing them into the Detroit River. Um, angle threatening to throw Austin into the river and uh, eventually beating Stone Cold at Unforgiven for the title in so September 2001, um, which obviously has very poignant meaning to it, like in terms of like the American hero Babyface winning the title in that month at that time. And, and both guys, again, were at their best throughout. Eric, what have we got on this board? I don't think you can go wrong with Austin Angle and Austin Rock. You think, you look back and you think, gosh, Austin and Rock have been feuding for like four years, but they really haven't been. They've just been kind of these like two planets circling and every once in a while they like get into each other's, you know, angle, no pun intended, or they get into each other's like rotation and like, but you think back, they had a little intercontinental deal in 97 and then their 99 feud was basically, it was basically shoehorned in because Rock was really affiliated with Mankind for all that time. Austin was really just feuding with Vince. And so they had that great match at 15. Basically, the only thing that stopped that show from being a zero. But they weren't really feuding. And they, they've had other matches since then. But I don't really see them as like this like forever feud. Instead, they're these like two entities that exist. And then every once in a while, they come together. I think that the the January to basically April, January to April 1, um, for Austin Rock is is just about as good as you can get as far as building and generating heat for the main event of the biggest show in the history of the company. Well, until Survivor Series, that was really the biggest show because they told us. But if <laughs> if we have Austin and Rock having the best work of their career at the same time feuding with one another, I don't know how anything stands a chance to overcome that. But then you come to the summer, and then all of a sudden. Kurt Angle in the mix against heel Austin. And I maintain, and we'll get to this later, but I maintain that some of the stick work and some of the, just the, you know, his in-ring work is great too, but some of the stick work and some of the backstage work that Austin was doing after X7, but, eh, after Triple H went out really through basically the end of the year is some of the best work I've ever seen on a wrestling show on TV, even. And you throw in Kurt Angle to the mix as a face. And yeah, Chris White, you mentioned it, it culminating, unfortunately, in conjunction with September 11th. And like everything great in the WWF, it's really except for Austin Rock, it kind of fizzled out. And then we had the angle turn and not turn and the mole. But I, I just think that, Chris White, you make the best point here. In any other year, we're not even arguing uh, between Austin Rock and Austin Angle as far as you know, just those two. Um, but unfortunately, Austin Rock was so good and those videos were so good and the match was so good that I don't I don't know that it gets better. To the last entry, Jericho and the Rock. I don't know that I want a WCW mid-card comedy gimmick as my world champion. And the Rock at this point, y'all, has just so much go-away heat for me. I mean, people say that he's on the same level as Austin, but he's not. 
Austin carries these like, and again, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but it's in the context of this of this feud. Austin carries 20, 25 minute segments on TV, improvising as well as anybody can. I mean, Second City improv level stuff here. And then you put Jericho and The Rock together and they're just a couple of push button catchphrases that pop Vince McMahon. Like how many gay jokes, how many you throw a ball like a girl jokes, you know, how many like one liners can these two just throw at each other? They're not doing anything creative. They're just a couple of canned promos and they're both really great at them. But it's not the same. It's a different level. And Jericho's in-ring work is just has been and kind of I'm convinced at this point always will be below what we all give him credit for. I don't know how this guy has bamboozled so many people into thinking he's a main event guy. Again, we'll get there. But I just think that it's nice to talk about Jericho and The Rock because it is something different from a Steve Austin angle. But I just don't think that that one has any weight to it compared to Austin Angle and Austin Rock, which are just two incredible three or four months uh, long arcs that we saw play out over the year. I think they say shots fired about that sort of thing, don't they? Oh, my word. If it hadn't started before, it definitely has now. Lacey, chime in on any of that, if you dare, and your thoughts on the board. So, Rock Jericho was all right. You know, it was funny. Them two on the mic together is always going to be good because they're good talkers. But it was over the WCW title in the point when the invasion was sort of circling the drain and it doesn't really matter. You've got Austin Angle. So you've got the fucking comedic genius of Austin Angle trying to fight over Vince's love, the tiny cowboy hats, the singing songs, amazingly great, just fucking fun with this newly turned heel Austin. And then the match quality was as good as you can with Austin, because obviously Austin is limited now to what he can do. But it wasn't the one that got 70,000 people into the Astrodome. It wasn't the one that we may look back at in many years to come, as what we'll go over later on when we do shows, as the main event for arguably one of the best, if not the best, WrestleMania so far. Austin Rock just it was it was it may have only been four months for this this build but obviously there's been undercurrent going on for years between them two but it was just perfect it was the whole stone cold I have to do whatever I need to beat you I will do anything to beat you and he fucking shook Vince's hand to beat him. That's the culmination of what since '97 the Vince Austin thing's been going on, and them two fucking hate each other. But to win and beat The Rock, he will go with 
the fucking devil. That that was the feud of the year for me. So I'll put my vote in now. Austin Rock. Hmm. <laughs> this is genuinely fascinating. I wonder where the next ones are going to go. So, Dan, give us your vote, please. I'm going to get outvoted, clearly. I like to go on record to say that I don't believe <laughs> that a one month they didn't feud for four months they feuded for one month the rock was feuding doing nothing in the royal rumble austin was feuding with triple h for two months prior to wrestlemania they only they only had any interactions for one month i don't think Mm -hmm. one month interaction counts as a feud as a build great it's it's honestly as iconic that's not a feud so i'm going to get outvoted but i want to go on record saying that so rock jericho is my vote but off you go and vote for the others I'm going to give Eric a second or two to stew. Not sure he needs it, but I'm going to grant him that privilege anyway. I'm going to ask Chris White for his vote. I, I don't I don't feel bad about this. I don't feel guilty. I'm voting for The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. One line as to why. Not that I think Dan needs to be pushed anywhere near the edge <laughs> at this point, but while we're doing it. It's the, it's, the best, it's the best build to the best show I've ever seen. And it was, I for me... It's the two biggest stars that I've been captivated by as a wrestling fan, both at their peak going against each other. And I I love every aspect of the storyline. And it's not a popular opinion now, despite how good Hill Austin is for the record. It's not a popular opinion that they were right to turn stone cold. But for me, that that is the culmination of just an unbelievable storyline. And I suppose, Eric... Uh, Eric is right to point out and in kind of counter to you, Dan, um, like it was a one month build to this show, but these two guys have been in there against each other and it's bubbled under the surface for years. And I, I, I kind of include all of that. And the build to 17 is the culmination of it for me. I just want to point out that they had a $3.5 million gate for one show. And over a million pay-per-view buys. I mean, this is like boxing level stuff for the feud of the year. Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Rock. Well, I'd have gone for Austin Angle. So there you are. Shows what I know, doesn't it? But uh, Austin Rock takes it. And you've explained yourselves all extremely well on all sides of the divide. I'm duty bound to say. Splinters up the arse and all of that. I do think that when this year is long, long in the rearview mirror, and for many reasons I can't wait until that happens, I do think that image of Austin and Rock with the flashbulbs going off behind them, it's going to take some topping. There's nothing else I can think of now, or even if I had many years to consider, that's going to outrank that. To the point where we will be discussing it again a bit later on. But for now, Feud of the Year is won by Austin versus The Rock. Shrug shoulders. So let's get to worst match. And again, only three to choose from. Eric, he wanted WCW to make an appearance in these awards, and they have in worst match. So think Ont with Steiner versus Sid versus Jarrett versus Animal from Sin. Oh, yes. Undertaker and Kane versus DDP and Canyon from SummerSlam. And Undertaker and Kane versus Chronic from Unforgiven. Well, well, well. Eric, you have to start us off here, I think. A guy broke his leg. I shouldn't say broke his leg. A guy suffered a compound fracture of his leg in a match, in a main event match, featuring Road Warrior Animal. 
And they kept going. And it wasn't even that. I, I don't know. Honestly, Rory, this match is on here because something had to be on here from the waning days of WCW. And it, it there, there were probably 10 matches that could have comprised these three slots just from the three months, just from Sin, Super Brawl, Revenge, and Greed. I think I got those in the right order. But, I mean, I think kind of with, with this category, it has kind of elevated to become the worst match of any, like, main event or semi-main event value. Because there are way worse matches than the three that we're going to discuss here. Um, but as far as, like, main event, semi-main event matches or matches featuring guys that we all like, I don't, I'm not going to talk about the Undertaker stuff because we have Chris, Chris White here to... to carry that torch for us um i don't know how many i mean we all should have watched sin and i watched it uh, again uh, recently and full disclosure i have the vhs of it on in the back yes vhs on in the background as we watch the show as we record the show um but i just think that if you go back and you watch that match either, either by itself or in the context of the waning days of wcw and you just see it on paper you know it's going to be bad and you see it play out. An animal was a surprise, but he wasn't supposed to be a surprise. There's just so much. Go back and listen to our WCW volume from January and, and get caught up as to why we all really need to take a strong look at this match being not only the worst match of the year because it was a bad match, but because, like, again, in the most representative thing in the last days of WCW, a man fractured his leg taking a move that he was told to take is what's been reported after the fact. Was it Laurinaitis that told him to take it? I'm not sure. Um, and they, they kept the match going yes, and then they was. just eventually, and they just eventually pinned him. And then animal was there just an absolute clusterfuck again. Not that this was specifically the worst match in the last three months of WCW, but boy, is it representative of any number of matches that could have been on this list. And I just wanted it to be here to remind everybody that, we had WCW this year. There was some pretty good stuff on it from time to time. Um, nothing worth making any of the categories, I think, that we're going to discuss. But there was a lot more bad stuff on it. And I think if we're going to close the book on WCW, what better way to do it than talking about this absolute train wreck of a purported main event from Sin? It would be fitting. I can't really argue that, but still much more to discuss just yet. Dan, I'm sure you haven't recovered at this point, so I might as well throw it to you now anyway. Yeah, I, I actually voted for, I think, the WCW match as my, as my number one. And looking back and rewatching all three of these, I still will put that number one. Look, I want to rag on The Undertaker as much as the next guy. Um, everyone who's regularly listens to the show will know Rory, I, Eric's, Chris White's opinions of this man as the biker. And I, uh, you can you can look at that DDP match as a microcosm of everything that went bad in the invasion, and I think that would hold up. And Chronic's match is a absolute train wreck of the fundamentals of wrestling just breaking down, and what actually ring rust can do to two people because Brian Adams and Brian Clark aren't that bad normally; they weren't great as Crush, as Raph, as Morses, whoever they were. But yeah, this was this was awful. But 
we got a match on this list where a guy broke his fucking leg and they worked over him after he broke his fucking leg. You got a main event match with with Road Warrior Animal in 2001, not 1991, 2001. And WCW expect us to take this seriously, even though you know, they, they're trying to do something new to keep themselves afloat. They bring an animal for God's sake. The match itself is, is really like a struggle to watch even before what happens to Sid happens. And again, we've had matches in the past where things go horribly wrong. You know, I think back to Austin versus Owen Hart in 1997 and, you know, something is really bad, but they can still, they still just about managed to say, nope, that's it. Done. Match is over. Let's get him out as, a, as quickly as possible, and let's let's see what's happened to Austin. No, they work over Sid for another three or four minutes. They don't just call an audible and say, "Right, signer, just just put Jarrett in the recliner and get get us out of here." They work over Sid for four minutes when his leg is pointing at ninety degrees. How could you do that to that man? Yeah, this is this is easily the worst match of the year for me. I was honestly surprised they didn't hook the fucking leg. Seriously, when they pinned him. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you're told to do, brother. Lacey, staring at everything in this rogues gallery full in the face. Have you recoiled in horror yet? I rather hope uh, so. So in the year of our Lord, 2001, we have Adam Bomb and Crush going against Undertaker and Kane. And you knew it was going to be shit, but it was just a, a beautiful level of car crash shit. But it's not the worst match this year. That, that you know, it was fucking god-awful. But it's not the worst match because there was really no build and, it, you know, nothing came after it and Chronic then fucked up. DDP Canyon in a cage against the Brothers of Destruction was a fucking egregious just taking of arguably bigger than Booker, the biggest WCW star that you have. You've you've taken everything that he was away from him to be a stalker and then you pick in his mouth by just letting him get fucking prison raped by Undertaker and Kane in a cage. If if there was any point that Paige should have just gone, do you know what? Fuck this, I'm going home. This was the point. This was just just a level of just absolutely taking someone that has some credibility. And as I said, just literally taking a giant piss in their mouth and going, go on, have that on TV. Lacey, I didn't want to cut you off mid-sentence there as you were on a roll, but surely the the next night was the was the point for DDP. That the, oh him yes, being, the, the, <laughs> beaten this, by Sara, yeah. As this as bad as this was, they followed it up with that. To be fair, she pinned him doing a yoga pose. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, DDP, what, what happened to you? Seven ninety-seven. You and Macho Man. It was such a good time. You won the title in ninety-nine. Such a good time. Now look at you. 
But there we'll we look go. at him again at least once later on, maybe <laughs> twice. So if there's anything left to save, then do so until then. <laughs> and obviously, you've got the the wonderful four way as again in our year year of our Lord 2001, Animal of the Road Warriors in a single in a main event as a single star, and a guy whose leg reminded me of Alfinger Harland lying there on the floor. Uh, it's fine, we'll just work around him and try not to stand on him. It's fine. I don't have my 100% choice on yet because I'm still caught between two, so I'm going to see where the others go before I uh, put my flag in the ground. Lacey, that's dangerously close to another Man United reference. <laughs> well, technically, it's a Man City reference. Yeah, but we all know who caused the Alfinger Harland injury. <laughs> True. So September 1997, and Roy Keane bursting into the penalty area, and had a flick at Holland, and I think he did his knee ligament, and that was the year that uh, Arsenal went on to win the championship. Oh, Roy Keane on Holland. David Ellery has a record of dismissing Roy Keane from the field of play. It's a red card issued by David Ellery to Manchester United's captain for the fourth time. We can write about it in the Rustling 20 years ago shared autobiography. Then we'll all know. Chris White, we've all been far too kind to The Undertaker so far, so don't let me down on this one, eh? So I just want to... I'm going to get the WCW match out of the way so so I can tunnel into The Undertaker at the end. So, for, absolute confession here. When I when I gave my nominations to this category, I hadn't watched Sin. I didn't go out my way to watch it, and I never had. Uh, so the nominees came up. This match was on there, and I was like, "Fine, I'll go away and watch this." And this is the worst match of the year by a country mile. Um, Rory, I'm going to quote you, quoting Tony, summing up that match with just the Road Warrior Animal. Are you kidding me? seven minute main event of just embarrassing work like those punches from Sid like before the leg break and oh it's so bad and then the leg break is up there with the worst in-ring injuries I've ever seen and they're just the it's 2001 and we get the reveal of Road Warrior Animal at the end and it's like this is the end of the show and uh yeah it's it's uh atrociously bad but I would be amiss if I didn't take the opportunity in this category to just take a giant shit on the undertaker which has been in after which what has been another terrible year from him uh taker and kane versus ddp and canyon from SummerSlam. my initial note was that it was the final nail in the ddp coffin but then i remembered as i pointed out earlier that the raw the the next night there's there's so much potential that ddp could have been utilized as someone with value within the entire invasion storyline and we got this garbage like the match is so bad, but the booking of it is worse. Um, and with Undertaker and Kane versus Chronic, like Kane makes an appearance in both these matches. I don't have a bad word to say about the guy. The basics in the Chronic match were just so off, and like the the, the caliber was to the extent it's like I don't see matches that sloppy in the WWF, and I entirely place place the blame at the Undertaker's door. It was an appalling professional wrestling match to the extent that two of the most valuable people in the WWF this year 
JR and Paul Heyman are sitting on commentary just debating whether like the merits of cowboy hats versus baseball caps. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm watching a pay-per-view. I paid money for this shit. Like the Undertaker is so past his sell by date. He has no place in any marquee match on a pay-per-view anymore. I, I don't see any value to him that around WrestleMania, I, I was willing to like begrudge him a chance, I suppose, because he had the, the entrance and he, he'd made a change. And I thought, well, maybe, but you just, you get any time he's in the ring. It's shit. It's so bad. And I like, I, I don't know if these matches are, are that bad. Like, really, like, there's, there's, a, there's a scale here. And, like, WCW died. Like, that company is gone and dead and buried. Then Shane bought it, and then it died again. Um, but, like, so I feel like this award is kind of, like, in honour of all of that and a culmination of that. Whereas The Undertaker's shitness is, like... It just splits the voting. There's so many. It, it <laughs> makes me feel like we could have put him in the Wahoo, to be honest. Uh, if only. Yeah, he he is beyond the bottom of the barrel now in terms of guys I want to see taking the WWF forward. And the idea of an Undertaker and Kane tag team, I mean, it's not it's not something that on paper I recoil at, but. The quality of these matches are just, yeah, truly atrocious. Rory, I, I, I just want to, before we get the voting in, have, yes, you, have, you, have you got any strong opinions? Because, of course, I have opinions about The Undertaker, but by far the most legendary Undertaker opinion on this show was delivered by yourself. So, Have I got strong opinions? You, you're asking me, really. Have, have I got, have strong, you, opinions have you got strong opinions on his 2001? It wasn't his 2000. That's all I'm going to say. Well, I, I, I did myself in in every sense of the phrase during my fully loaded 2000 rant. I don't think I've ever quite got back to those levels on The Undertaker again, as much as, believe me, I would like to. But I left it all out there nearly 18 months ago. I do wish I'd pace myself a bit more now because I think I'm giving him by his standards a bit of an easy ride, which he does not deserve. But uh, basically, just go back and listen to the fully loaded 2000 rant about The Undertaker and just turn your volume up to 11. And that will give you my thoughts on him right now, because trust me, they haven't changed. <laughs> but let's get some votes on worst match of the year. Yeah, Chris White, let's have you first. I'll go with a WCW match. Oh, see, all about, that's why you pick an Undertaker match, Chris. Oh, no, let me down. He, he, I can't pick. He's got too much shit to, to just nail down one. Oh, sheer weight of numbers. Lacey, pick one of these, if you dare. Just to make it interesting, I will go with the sodomizing of DDP. <laughs> God. Well, that's definitely one way to put it and one place to put it as well. Uh, Dan Welling, your choice. Sorry, Roy, but he broke his fucking leg. <laughs> WCW triple threat. Well, All right, then, Eric. All right. Before I put my vote in, I just want to emphasize to our listeners it can't be understated how awful The Undertaker has been, basically, since he came back on that stupid fucking motorcycle. There we go. Um, but the worst match of the year was the WCW four-way, in my opinion. There we go. Yeah. I wish now I hadn't punched myself out in July 2000, so I could have had some fights here. But 
how honourable in a way that WCW do take the worst match award nine months after they cease to exist. I must admit there's something very, very right about that. And I'm sure a lot of our traditionalists listening to this program, if they didn't leave us in March of this year, as many people have watching wrestling, five million or so at the last counts, and they might not be quite so forgiving, but there'll always be a special place dedicated to WCW in our hearts, maybe in our bile tracks. Personality of the Year is our next award. This one was formed out of the ashes of non-wrestler of the year. We broadened the scope last year. The guys had a chance to interpret the word personality however they chose, leading to no fewer than six people making it in. And they are Shane McMahon, Steve Austin, Paul Heyman, Vince McMahon, JR, there you go, Lacey, and William Regal. Chris White, you can start us off with these six. Where do you fancy going? Lots of possible options. Yeah, lots of possible options and lots of possible debate on this one, I feel, based on just individual interpretation. Um, It's tough, and I'm going to get him out of the way first because, obviously, he comes up a lot. I think Stone Cold Steve Austin in 2001 has been perhaps the most engaging wrestling personality that I've ever encountered. Um, I adored everything about his work leading into WrestleMania 17 and we spoke about that when we discussed Feud of the Year and how enamored I was with that and Hill Austin has perhaps been better um he carried this company with just routine like like for him routine and paint by numbers just weekly segments that blew me away um and this is all on the mic not not necessarily in the ring at all although when he has wrestled he I mean again he'll come up in worker and matches of the year but he has delivered on that side of things as well but strictly from the the personality on the mic and the and the character i I think that's really where austin's excelled this year so i'll I'll, I'll save a bit in the tank for him later on and for everyone else to say their piece about austin Heyman has been a breath of fresh air um from (laughs) unfortunately quite a short-term breath of fresh air um on the commentary booth and I think we spoke and highlighted the promo he cut to Vince before Survivor Series and, and rightly the one before Invasion as well. Um, as just what a exceptional talker Paul Heyman is and how he has brought a different element to what has been a shaky at best storyline second half of the year. Um, but he works so well with JR. Um, and the two of them together in their roles are so good at telling the stories the right way um, that they really do maximise what you get out of them as a, as a fan. And, and I suppose while I'm in this area, JR, um, again, has had, even by his lofty standards, I think an exceptional year. Um, I think the role he played in the Austin and Rock um, feud with the sit-down interview is is invaluable, and I think his some of his uh, most legendary wrestling calls of all time have took place this year. Um, particularly the the screaming um, at his long-term friend Stone Cold Steve Austin shaking hands with Vince McMahon at WrestleMania 17, and I think even if he hadn't been as good as he typically is weekly and monthly. Um, that call alone would would warrant his place on the list. So there's another one ticked off. Uh, Shane McMahon's an interesting one for me. Um, 
and I think to be fair, um, probably does warrant his place here among the nominations, but not for me, the, the winner of this category. I think Shane, um, again, uh, WrestleMania 17 in, in, in my books is, is an all time great pay-per-view. <clears throat> well, I say in my books, that's a pretty unanimous opinion. I, I imagine. And, um, his role in, in selling that, I think, uh, can't be understated in terms of matches that you look forward to for the for the spectacle rather than the work i mean shane versus vince had no right to be as good as of a spectacle in a sports entertainment match and i hate myself for saying that as 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 it was um and i think all of his work on the mic leading into that and his role as the the leader of wcw and the guy that bought the company deserves a level of recognition that that he without this nomination would not get because ultimately i I don't think the alliance and the invasion storylines were good to to be frank um so this is kind of where you you tip your hat to shane and say for his part with the material he had to work with i think he delivered perhaps more than we would have expected him to and certainly when you look at a sibling of his um and you see how it could have gone with perhaps someone else in his role or just generally a McMahon who that isn't Vince in that role um, then Shane deserves credit and the final one Regal um <clears throat> I didn't uh nominate William Regal so I'd be interested to hear from the guys that did uh I think when we're talking about the scope of this award Regal feels a bit too much of a small time player for me to be in a discussion of best wrestling personality in the year 2001 for all the things that have happened this year. That isn't a criticism of him because I very much enjoyed William Regal. But to me, all the sort of criticism that could be and was levied towards someone like Chris Jericho, you can lay a character like William Regal behind the scenes. Um, And it, I personally enjoy Regal less than I would have done, say, like uh, the Stooges, like Patterson and Briscoe in that role when they were like sucking up to Vince. Um, And I I think there's too many characters at play in the invasion storyline that he didn't shine out to me as a particularly large one that warranted maybe this level of recognition in the end of year awards. That isn't to say I haven't been a fan of his work throughout the year, which has probably been, well, almost certainly been, the best of his tenure in the company. Chris Lacey, I'll throw it to you next for personality of the year. What are your thoughts, my man? So I will fight the corner for Regal because I was one of the ones that put him in there. Go for it. His, he was getting a minute, a minute and a half, maybe two minutes on screen at a time um, in the commissioner role. And maybe it's because I'm English and, the level of fucking humour that he brings is just perfect. Sort of, if you grew up in on 80s comedy and stuff like that, and early 90s stuff, that it just hits right. He, he was just hitting perfect sort of one-liners, calling people silly buggers and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, yeah, he's not going to win it. He's not even my pick for the, the main one, but I felt he deserved to be in the conversation just because 
with something as simple as matchmaking, there was a fun side to it. There was a, a, a humour and just a bit of a, a cheeky Englishness to it that, you know, I like to have a little bit of a, um, us in the Americanisms. You know, so that's why I put Regal in there. Vince and Shane, yeah, they're all right. You know, uh, their match was obviously better than ever anyone ever thought it would have been. Um, you know, that initial part around the WrestleMania with the I bought my competition. Yes, it says McMahon, but Shane McMahon was captivating a great TV in a segment that fuck will probably fucking play till the end of time as long as Vince is around and Vince can fucking, you know, spaff over and go, look at me, I want everything. Ah. But we are now going to talk about the guy that is the personality of the year, our Lord and Saviour, Mr. Paul Heyman. A fucking breath of fresh air on commentary as soon as the fucking king went. Just broke up that same old shit that we were getting that we'd had for so long with JR and the King. Something as fucking as funny as the the reads for the commercials, him shouting Snickers Crunch or shouting out Limp Biscuit for my way for WrestleMania. Xbox and you know the the last ever WSH program pay per view is presented by Xbox. Just moments like that, fucking great. And then to top that off, we have him as really the true voice of the alliance and those scathing promos. The one at the beginning when he called out that ECW was there. Then we had the one the week after when we got how he shit on Vince and the whole when Shane and Stephanie said that they wished that Vince had died or was dead. And then at the end, when he brought out all of the home truths just before Survivor Series. Paul Heyman, personality of the year, man of the year. God bless him and get him back on commentary as soon as possible. I sincerely hope Time magazine are listening to this. Eric, maybe you could put in a word for us on that score after you've given us your personality of the year choices for our not too shabby either awards. Yeah, I voted for Vince and I kind of regret it. Um, because for me, there were really only two that deserve that, that, that I was going to consider. And so I kind of had to throw a third in there. And I think Vince, Regal and even JR were were suitable for that third slot. Um, I'm gonna dismiss Shane. I, I personally find him uh, kind of uh, a little bit grating. Um, I think he tries to be like the cool hip kid, and that was fun when he had the, you know, his his goon squad and everything else. But like, I don't know, like. Maybe it's the stink of Stephanie and the stink of the whole Invasion Alliance thing and his Booker T stuff, but I just don't think that Shane really warrants being on this list this year, save for one very good segment that I'm certain we're going to talk about later in the show. JR, kind of the same. Like, JR had a good year, and he just 
there were just other things going on around him to where it 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 maybe we're used to it and i'm sure that once he's gone we're going to immediately notice it but for me like unlike the dudleys who just kind of did their thing and that was still the best thing in the tag division all year jr did his thing but i think he was eclipsed um in, in a couple of different ways um including by one of my one of my nominees uh which i'll get to uh Regal was an interesting pick. Um, and I think the point about him not necessarily being like a top level guy is valid. But I do think that that commissioner role is difficult. And we've seen different folks do it with different levels of success over multiple companies. And I think he's just been about the best one at it. His usage rate is so high. And what I mean by that is when he does have that minute or two minute segment with Tajiri or, or, even at the beginning of the year with Jericho or even with Vince at Survivor Series when he comes in and cuts that like just 30 second little mini promo on Vince and Linda about how they're going to you know, make sure that the WWF dies. Like Regal deserves discussion on this list of personalities because while he's not a top guy per se, he's not a commentator, he's not you know, a main eventer, he, he takes advantage of the time that he's given probably more than anybody else than I can think of. And so I definitely think that he deserves discussion on this list. Okay, enough child's play. We'll start with Heyman. Nothing Lacey said I disagree with. I think the commentary badly needed to be shaken up. I think Heyman's been a wonderful commentary, uh, member of the commentary team in every company he's ever been with. You go back to the early uh Turner owned WCW days 8990 and he you know he was on the he was in the booth with JR then and he was good then too and he's only gotten better and he's a little bit Jesse Ventura like in that yes he's a heel but he he does a really good job of justifying why the heels have merit in their positions and I think he's the best at that since Ventura um he's not the comedy sidekick like Heenan was, and he's not the perverted old fuck that Jerry Lawler is with, at this point, go away he, after Heyman. I mean, how the hell, side note, how the hell are we supposed to listen to Lawler now do his shit after nine months of Heyman? But that's an aside. And I've, I've, had best... to for the, I've had to for the last six weeks, so for now, oh, just leave it so out. bad. Oh, yeah, <laughs> listen to so the December bad. show if you want more. <laughs> and, and... Yeah, we got almost nine months without any reference of puppies, and I could have gone 90 years without any any of that shit. But anyway, he's the best commentator they've had since, you know, best color person they've had um, probably since Heenan, and he's the most sports-aligned commentator that, uh, or, or, or color commentator they've had since Ventura. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Heyman's a better color commentator than Ventura, but it's damn close. That's how good he is. And it's tough because he's up against, and 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 Austin is up against Heyman, just as Heyman is up against Austin. And Austin, to me, as Chris White so eloquently pointed out, carried two two-hour shows every week with his talking, with his segments. I mean, they did an entire episode of SmackDown just based around him getting people to sign a petition and it was incredible he's just an incredible improvisational speaker and talker in another world he's a player on like whose line is it anyway or or something like that right 
So I just think that if you look at the body of work, he's almost the opposite of Regal. Austin was given more time than anybody has any right to have on a biweekly basis. And there was nary a segment, nary a moment where I thought, God, I'm sick of this guy. Um, it's going to be tough. But I think if you have the best commentator that we've had, color commentator we've had since uh, Ventura, and you have the best stick work, mic work personality that we've probably ever had. I think I agree with, with Mr. White there as well. Boy, that makes this this tough because you have the guy in the ring holding the stick and you have the guy outside of the ring on the headset, both just doing the absolute best work that we've ever seen. Plus the fact one of those people might well be better served in another category coming up later on, said he, not wanting to give anything away or indeed shoot our bolt too early. Ding. Well, everybody processes that because some of you might need a bit of time. Dan Welling is going to talk about his personality of the year choices. I will quickly breeze through the McMahons. I don't think that they have had any way, shape or form enough credit to get onto this list. Shane, Vince, they've had good moments, but they've had a lot of bad ones. So I want to get rid of those immediately. Um, William Regal, okay, fair enough, all good points. Um, Again, I don't think that he has at the level of some of the other people on this list, as as, um, Chris White said, even though that he has been entertaining. I think that, again, I agree with you, Rory, Austin is most certainly one of the best all-round wrestling years we've had, but that's for another award. I want to give a little bit of love to Jim Ross because, again, I think like I'm his personal cheerleader on this podcast fraternity. I vote for him every single year. Why? Because he delivers every single year some of the best play-by-play commentary wrestling has ever seen. And I do think that he has been elevated this year because he's now got a level above sparring partner that he hadn't had with the King for a long time. He's been pushed to actually, you know, incorporate some of the storyline into his play-by-play the fact that he constantly will be you know having sometimes have to break character and just put down Heyman for the incessant cheerleading that he gives to the alliance in particular in the second half of the year and in reality the fact that they you know pay off the angle on the raw after survivor series with jr beating up Heyman on the announce table is on low-key one of the best segments of the year because you you really are investing in the fact that jim ross has had enough of this greasy rat commentator shouting in his ear while constantly about how the alliance is going to drive his beloved WWE out of business so i do think that jr has been elevated this year but the reason again why he has been elevated is because you've got paul Heyman in the company this year full-time for almost the entire year i think chris the chris's gave him a disservice when they said he's been a breath of fresh air he's been a fucking tornado this year i think eric you've mentioned he's one of the best play-by-play um color commentators sorry that we've ever seen in wf yes and then you combine that with his fucking promos that he cuts on vince that i we've got three already that i could easily put into best promo of the entire year the reveal of ECW as the guerrilla warfare for brand in the invasion, his reasoning promo, his war speech before invasion, and then we get to the SmackDown before Survivor Series. And how on earth can you say that this guy does not deserve to win Personality of the Year award? He's a 
an absolute tornado of a personality tour de force this year. He honestly would have been my one of the votes for MVP if if we were allowed non wrestlers into that award. He's been that good. The voice of the invasion, arguably one of the top three things about the whole invasion, and a great color commentator to boot. Mark my vote down, Rory. So you are definitely voting for JR then, Dan, yes? So we'll pencil JR in for you next year and the next 10 years. But Paul Heyman is your vote, just to confirm, yeah? Correct. <laughs> just checking. Chris White, your vote. Well, I'm going to be outvoted here, but I, I'd just like to go on record and say I don't disagree with a single thing that Dan just said. But Austin was better. Like, Austin's personality carried hours and hours and hours of bad television and made it good television. I have to vote for Stone Cold Steve Austin. I think just because he may have been the the best worker or the most valuable overall doesn't negate that he had the best personality and he deserves this award. Well, we'll see about that, won't we? After Chris Lacey chooses first. We know who it is. Our Lord and (laughs) Saviour. Herr Heyman. Call him a Lord and Saviour twice now. And so then, Eric. So then, Eric. So then, Eric. I'm really grateful for Chris White because I I wanted to vote for Austin so bad. And I felt like I was going to be, like, shamed if I did because how good Heyman is. And But I completely agree with Chris White that it's it's Austin. And it has nothing to do – he could – he could have not wrestled a single match this year and probably still got my vote in this category. So I think it is separate and distinct from other categories uh, in which we will uh, discuss him later. And Rory, it gives you something to do. <laughs> well, I'm just going to go straight for Paul Heyman. So, no, it doesn't really. <laughs> Purely, again, I, I mention him every year, which itself is probably quite ironic, really. But I don't want the Monopolies Commission getting on my back. I give them an upgrade to the mill as it is. So if Austin takes this award as well, then there might not be a show next year. So I'm giving it to Paul Heyman. Other people will have their chance in other categories. I have no issue with Austin getting onto this list. I have no issue with the lyrical waxing in the last 20 minutes. But Paul Heyman arrived fully formed. There was zero transition period. And if anybody could be forgiven for needing to have one for coming from ECW to the Dayglow happy crappy world of the WWF, it's him, but he was right there that day, the beginning of March, strides right down the ramp, sits next to JR as if he's been there all his life, knows all the storylines, knows all the workers, knows all the moves. Remember that? He keeps the stories ticking over. And this is just his commentary. His rapport with JR alone would probably walk him this award. But when you consider he's been one of the very few bright spots, tornadoes, if you will, about the whole alliance angle when he's been called upon in the ring, it is a no-brainer. So, our next award, and it's another baddie, I'm afraid, it's Worst Booking Decision. Of course, all of us here in the UK know what the real Worst Booking Decision was. We saw the fruits of it six days ago when John Sullivan bowed to tabloid pressure and brought back only fools and horses. Having the families lose their money in the most strained way possible, and then have Dell try to win some back on a made-up game show presented by Jonathan Ross... I tell you what, there really needs to be a fuck you Gary Bushel award on here one day. For now though, worst booking decision in professional wrestling. So, as I'm sure you can expect, the Alliance as a non-credible opposition in this angle got many votes and is our first nomination. 
we have three other Alliance Invasion selections that I deemed different enough to warrant inclusion here, and they are Stephanie McMahon as head of ECW, DDP being revealed as the Stalker, specifically, and RVD doing a clean job at No Mercy. Slightly differently, we have Steve Austin aligning with Vince McMahon, and, oh, I wondered who picked this one, Chris Jericho becoming the undisputed champion at Vengeance. He has to wait, though, because, Dan, the four of us spent, and we were spent, the amount of time we talked about the Alliance and the Invasion and its failures on our second edition in November 2001. So now it's about time you had your say on the Alliance and the Invasion. Let rip. Don't be shy. Yeah, sure thing. So I'm probably a little bit more... I wouldn't say positive, but indifferent to the Alliance invasion angle as a whole. Obviously, it was incredibly disappointing. I Every single wrestling fan knows that. Um, but I think, Chris, I think Yuli said it really well in the initial invasion angle, uh, pay-per-view, sorry, is that I don't think any storyline that they did with the invasion um, would be, like, god's gift to the wrestling industry because no matter what we got it wouldn't be dream match peak wcw versus peak wwf because wcw was so cooked it by the end of 2000 that it wasn't credible opposition if it just came in and did an invasion angle so the wrong story was told and so what we got basically had to kind of be the best of what it could be but as we know from these some of these nominations that it still had quite a lot of issues with it and bad booking decisions all throughout the company. You know, the WCW wrestlers being treated as second second rate cannon fodder for one thing. I mean, something has gone terribly wrong when you have to have Shane McMahon and Kurt Angle on your big showdown match at, at the end of this angle when you had all this massive influx of talent coming in which involve people that are incredibly talented and people that in theory fit the Vince McMahon role of and mold as a star in potential. You know, look at, you know, Mike Awesome, who was amazing ECW in 1999 and 2000. Sean O'Hare and Chuck Palumbo, if they wanted to put some, you know, gas behind them, they could have done because they had, you know, more upper body strength than any other WWE wrestler. If you're telling me that Lance Storm couldn't have been a, you know, credible Chris Benoit-esque, merciless, cold-hearted, you know technical wizard they didn't want to do it they could have done something with taz you know you know better late than never they could have easily done something with a guy who was somebody that fans knew about that ecw fans knew about and was given some promo time and mic time with stone cold steve austin if they wanted to make taz like the ultra disciple of stone cold and become the, 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 the human suplex machine he was in ecw they could have done that but they didn't. They chose willingly to not give anybody a rub. Canyon, for God's sake, Canyon's one of the most underrated workers that is probably in, in North America right now in terms of his innovation and in terms of his actual, you know, potential charisma. But he was, you know, saddled with DDPs, you know, absolute, you know, Chris Lacey's words, sodomizing, and that was it for him as well that every single person that they could have done something with to give fresh impetus to this angle, they burned through so, so quickly. And it was left to people like Test, Christian, William Regal, Kurt Angle. God's sake, just give us some fresh blood just to make this angle interesting. It would have been so much better. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably the single 
overall arcing aspect of the, of the alliance has been completely and utter turd. And I think long term probably did the most damage to the invasion storyline that they went with. Um, the other vote I've given to this category is Stephanie becoming the ECW owner. Um, because again, another big complaint that we've had for the whole invasion angle has been that it's been too focused on the McMahons. I think we all knew that. I think we all had worries about that going forward when Shane was revealed as the owner of WCW. And then it got confirmed when they decided to make this whole invasion storyline WCW as a generic heel group of wrestlers. And then in comes Stephanie McMahon, the, like, the complete opposite of what you want ECW as a brand to represent its, its invasion angle, born for this business, bred on WWF, you know, content, programming, ethos. Note, we're going to make her the owner of the counterculture revolutionary brand that already has its mouthpiece right there in Paul Heyman, who literally could talk the ears of a donkey and cut one of the best promos of the year just an hour earlier of this of the decision. Even in timeline, it doesn't make sense. Two months beforehand, she was cheering on her husband, Triple H, who was aligned to Vince McMahon and in the two man power trip faction. But no, two months. It took two months for Stephanie McMahon to go. No, nah, actually, I think I'm actually going to take down my evil dad and I want him to roll over and die and give over all of our power to me and Shane. Utterly ludicrous utterly ludicrous booking decision that goes against all of the ethos of what ECW stood for and goes against wrestling logic at its core. A, a shambolic decision. And then again, if you wanted to have Stephanie McMahon involved in the Alliance angle as a heel character, you could have made her the executive president of committee or finance of WCW. Just have her be involved in WCW and it would have made a little bit more of a you know palatable taste in the mouth, but no, she's involved with EC fucking W. That's an absolute slap in the face to people like Lacey who have worshipped this company for the last three or four years and had to see it just being trodden all over at you know an hour after it potentially had its brightest flame. I'll jump in on that one. You are fucking right, Dan, with fucking Steph being the one that was the money you know she just didn't need to be there it, it wasn't fucking needed it just fucking awful a couple of the ones that are in the list i'm just going to bin out really easily and say why they're not anywhere near this austin Island with vince we got the two-man power trip we got the fun bits with her angle so yeah it worked not a bad booking decision. Jericho is undisputed champ. We've only had it for a few weeks. Let's see where we go. So again, another one straight out of the out of the mix. RVD doing the job at No Mercy. As we all know, RVD is my boy. But again, I'm going to dismiss this one because in there with Angle and Austin. They weren't going to give him the belt, but he's in there rubbing shoulders with two of what, the top three guys in the Fed. The experience, the, the on-screen time, RVD gets more out of that 
in a loss than just not being there at all. So again, another one that we'll we'll shoot over. DDP as the stalker. As I mentioned earlier, when we were talking about worst match, DDP, match of the years with Matcha Man three years ago, four years ago, won the world title in WCW, was was a big fucking thing. He was their people's champ. He was he was the everyman guy that everyone was behind. And he's chasing after Undertaker's misses as a stalker. Yeah. His wife's Kimberly Page. Kimberly Page, Sarah. These things do not match. And yeah, that was just fucking stupid. And then as we saw, and when we go into what we went in through the match, it just turns out that he just basically gets butt fucked by the Undertaker and beaten in a cage. Well played, you've killed a character. But for me, the most egregious one is the Stephanie being ECW. But I will allow someone else to to come in now. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll take the reins here. I, the reason I, I don't think I can vote for Stephanie in this one is because the, the, the consequence of Stephanie being revealed as the ECW owner or whatever and her role in it, clearly by the votes of you and Dan in the last category, did not take anything away from Paul Heyman. He still had ample opportunity to, in the majority of the contributors to this show's mind, be the best personality of the year. Would it have been better if Paul Heyman was in that role? Yes, I completely agree. I don't know that there'd be a wrestling fan that could could possibly disagree with that. However, would that have overall had any difference in salvaging what was one of the biggest flops in terms of potential to what we got uh, I don't think it would have made a damn bit of difference I think that's like a a terrible booking decision in the eyes of hardcore fans and fans of ECW it is right like as you've both rightly said it is a slap in the face and it is very egregious but the worst booking decision is taking the history of the Monday Night Wars and and taking all of the rivalry between the WWF and WCW, hot-shotting through all of it in four months and killing it dead, by the end of a year doing a buy rate worse in the December pay-per-view than the year before, doing a buy rate within sort of 300 uh, within sort of 30,000 buys of the Survivor Series from the year before, which was a nothing happening show. Going from a year that started with one of the biggest WrestleManias ever and over a million buys and everything we've talked about about WrestleMania 17 and how good that show was to being a company that is shrinking and is doing worse off than it was before. The reason it has to be for me the Alliance's non-credible opposition is because there are issues with fantasy book in the Alliance and a potential WCW invasion, which we've discussed on many other shows and there's behind the scenes stuff and contractual disputes, but there is no need to hotshot rush into things as they did. You, you've, you own all the stuff now and you can hold on to it and 
there should be 18 months minimum worth of stuff you can get out of any sort of invasion that involves WCW. Another point where I don't think it can be Stephanie in charge of ECW, and again, not debating that that is a, a dog shit decision, is is what Eric said on the <coughs> Survivor Series show in the kind of like post-mortem of the whole invasion, is that I, I think, personally, I had never really considered it at time of recording, but now I, I completely concur to the opinion that ECW sh- shouldn't even really, in the, the ideal world, be involved at that stage of the game. That's something you can do at next year's WrestleMania when you're, what, nine months in to any said storyline and you need to freshen it up a bit. And then you get Heyman off the commentary desk and you put him as the head of ECW and involve him in that company versus company feud to freshen things up again through summer of 2002. So to me, all of the issues that stem from Steph as ECW are just small fry compared to the biggest waste of potential I've seen in wrestling storylines. Um, DDP being revealed as a stalker is again, awful. And so just there has to be some backstory to some sort of personal Vince McMahon vendetta against the man, because there's no other explanation for why he'd be treated as he was during his time on TV, but a huge waste and someone that again could have added some credibility to the WCW side of proceedings. I agree with you, Lacey, that I think RVD being at that spot in no mercy is, is, is big for him. And uh, I'm not equating them certainly, but when you look at someone like Lance storm um, and see where he is on the card and uh, I'm not, again, I'm not equating their, their charisma or or anything or, or their potential in the WWF, but someone who had been very successful in ECW and, and WCW in Lance Storm and where he is. And I don't think Rob Van Dam being pinned by a Stone Cold Stunner in a WWF title match is, is on the level of worst booking decision of the year. Jericho's undisputed champ, I don't think was a, a good booking decision, but again, I, I, I'm not, I know why this, I know why this is here. I'm personally not as low on Jericho as, Eric is, and I'm, I'm probably not as high on him as, as Dan. I'm, I'm very much sort of on the fence on this one. I've been a fan of a lot of Jericho's work, and I think they did well to get him into the point where he was a viable option from that from until the tag title match in May where Triple H suffered that injury. Um, he'd been floundering about, and that was coming off a very, very good start to the year where he won the Intercontinental title in an excellent ladder match with Chris Benoit at the Rumble, and He's involved in that title picture through Mania, and he, right after that, a few high-profile losses, and he's floundering. I think he, maybe not to the extent of undisputed champion and beating The Rock and Stone Cold in a single night, but I don't think having a upper mid-card guy being elevated to the, the absolute top of the card, again, is on the level of undisputed champ. I did vote for Austin... <coughs> aligning with Vince and I think a large part of that is because Eric I owe you an apology Eric we discussed in the Wrestlemania 17 review and my take on it shortly after finishing that show and my explanation for Austin aligning with Vince um, I loved it at the time and you gave your opinions and they were 
you 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 sort of reserve the right to revisit them and uh and i think in terms of the austin vince stuff having austin immediately turn and join the alliance and all of this and how austin and vince relationship um developed throughout the year again just feuding but on the different side of the coin to each other um i think that has completely undercut the end of that wrestlemania it's still like as emotive as i've been finishing a wrestling pay-per-view in my life um and i don't think i'll ever forget how that show made me feel and it's still one of my favorite shows of all time but i think the the way that Austin and Vince have been booked in relation to each other throughout the rest of the year makes that a bad booking decision in hindsight. It's not my worst one of the year, but I think it's credible in terms of being on this list. Chris, it's interesting because I almost think that the way that this went after X7 neutralized the Austin aligning with Vince slash turning heel. Like we had the two-man power trip, uh, Hunter goes down with the quad injury, and then we have the Alliance stuff going on. And the Austin that shook hands with Vince on April 1 was not the same Austin that aligned with the Alliance. And so in a weird way, and this just sometimes happens, the WWF's like weird backwards way that it books stuff sometimes or the the, the chances that it takes without much foresight with like this Austin heel turn I think the him aligning with the alliance then while it makes that decision at mania all the more curious I think the result was something that ultimately didn't end up mattering and so it just makes the end of that show weird but then there wasn't really much in follow-up to it I think Austin directly after mania basically with Triple H and the two-man power trip for me that's some of the worst Austin stuff that we got this year and worse Austin is still better than really anything in wrestling by and large but i think it was a bad decision but i think it was neutralized by the rest of the year so it doesn't get my vote so okay so obviously i I voted for jericho as this undisputed champion and i i just don't see it guys like you got austin you've got rock you've got angle you've got triple h on his way back Undertaker is still a main eventer as much as we just wish he would just go away for a little while, uh, learn a new hold. We're shoehorning in a guy. We're basically putting a belt on a guy to try to make them a top level star instead of having a top level star and then rewarding them with the world title in a meaningful run. I understand that all of this was shenanigans and he didn't win. I don't think he won either match anywhere close to clean Jericho at Vengeance. But to me, putting the WCW mid-card comedy act, who's a dodgy worker at best in the ring, um, with good mic skills for what he does, but he's not in the same category as a Rock or an Austin or even an Angle, in my opinion. Um, Making that guy the undisputed champion going into your biggest stretch of the year, the Rumble through Mania, like what... What are the odds that he's even champion? Like this, this has loses the belt in February written all over it, doesn't it? So, what's the point if you're just going to strap him going into December? He's going probably going to have a throwaway match at, at the Royal Rumble, probably against The Rock, I would think, or maybe I don't know. 
there's no way he's champion going into mania. And so what's the point? I don't think he's a, I don't think he's a credible main event guy. I just don't, I'm sorry. I don't see it. The other stuff, RVD, whatever, he took a stunner. He lost who hasn't, he's, he's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. Lacey. Um, and, and I don't think you are. And then, yeah, the two tentpole events leading up to my vote, which will be the, the Alliance just being a complete joke, the non, a, a non-credible entity. I think we can point to two tentpole events in that happening. One is DDP being revealed as the stalker separately from the Alliance, not being positioned as a main event guy, not being in that Survivor Series match, not really having much to do with the Alliance at all in any meaningful way after The Undertaker made him his his bitch. And the other one for me was Stephanie being the owner of ECW because that was the signal that this was not going to be about the Monday Night Wars. This was going to be about the McMahon circle jerk party. And so those are symptoms of the larger illness, which was the, the non-credible alliance, which gets my vote in this category. Yeah, I just quickly want to come back on the RBD thing. I can't quite believe that I'm the person having to do this. I should say it was me who nominated RBD losing at No Mercy and nobody else. I was expecting to be joined in the lobbies on that one, but uh, what are you going to do? Maybe somebody got a kick in the shins on the way. But let's just take a look at this now where RBD stands at the end of December, where on the Vengeance show we were falling over ourselves, maybe a little too hard, it must be said to try to say that RVD is going to be okay. He was given a lot in that match with The Undertaker, more than a lot of people. Oh, there I go again. But the point remains, he still lost. And I think it goes back to the fact that RVD should never have been in this position in the first place. When he first did a run-in with Tommy Dreamer on the middle of Raw when the alliance was first formed, there's no way whatsoever that the Federation gave him that little run-in and said, you know what, in three months' time, you're going to be main eventing a pay-per-view. It was not meant to happen. RVD got over of his own accord by being somebody completely out of the ordinary, doing stuff in the ring, let's not forget that, that nobody else was doing. And the WWF crowd, largely very insular, they look after themselves and their own and nobody else, they were blown away by this guy. And the pops he was getting entirely deserved and entirely natural as well. And the Federation, to their credit, went with it this time. They... Haven't done so when they should have in the past. I dare say there will be times in the future where they turn their back and they really should face forward. But on this occasion with RBD, they went with it until they put him in the main event of No Mercy. It was a triple threat match. He didn't need to take the loss. Have Angle get pinned by Austin. Then that then plays into the story you're going to tell the next night where Angle joins the Alliance, supposedly. We know it was a hoax. Not, we know that now. We didn't at the time. And would anybody really remember that when he did turn back? Because he turned back again after that. If I'm getting my amount of turnbacks correct, I'm probably not. But no, but at the time, it would be a logical reason. And you're protecting RVD, the very reason it needed to be a triple threat in the first place. Because let's face it, the original plan, I have no doubt, was going to be Austin versus Angle. Don't bring RBD into that situation just to pin him. Because you are saying all too loudly and all too clearly. The point you are making is, yes, okay, we can give you the main event, but you're only as over as we say you are. And him taking a clean pinfall loss in a situation where there was no need for him to do so still really frustrates me. I think he's going to be okay. But you need to ask yourself, if we're all sat here again in 12 months' time, is okay going to be enough? Anyway, let's get some more votes. You've swayed me there, Eric. 
because I was going to go with, you know, Stephanie pissing on my ECW. But you're right. Both that and DDP are, in theory, all because of how they shit all over the idea of the Alliance and made them a joke. I'll uh, jump in and give my vote. Uh, purely based on it being the, out of all the things we discussed, the, the thing of the biggest consequence. So I'm going to go free for free on the Alliance being non-credible. Yep, and you can make that four for four. It was, it's the decision that ultimately cost WWF this angle. If they made WCW a credible threat and built up some stars, they could have salvaged this without any of the the marquee names, but they didn't. And that's what's cost them in the end. So there you are. The Alliance conquers all, does it not? It did have four stakes out of six, five, if you really want to think about it. Or maybe even all six, if you look at it especially laterally. So I have no issue and who does with the Alliance in any way, shape or form winning this award. It's cast a pall over the second half of the year. And I don't think it's really clear to now, despite WWF's understandable desire to write the whole thing out of existence. But we can't pretend it didn't happen as much as we would like to. Worst booking decision, the Alliance. I'm shrugging again. If the wind changes, I'm going to be stuck in this position. Not that I'm doing too much to get out of it. But hopefully Worker of the Year will at least cause me to fold my arms a bit sternly. Three nominees for Worker of the Year. This is best in-ring, the best wrestler of the year. There we go. Defended against it a little bit. Steve Austin, Rob Van Dam, Kurt Angle. Who wants to start us off on this one? Let's go to Chris White first. Yeah, um, so for these nominees, I think we've spoken about um, the two I'm probably best versed to elaborate on um, the most so far, particularly Stone Cold Steve Austin, um, in terms of personality. But we would be amiss if we didn't recognise and appreciate just how good, despite, um, as, as Lacey pointed out earlier in the show, certain limitations that the man may have. Um, it certainly doesn't show in his main event match quality. Um, when you look at uh, I mean, Royal Rumble matches are their own thing. They're, they're, you're not going to get a five-star Royal Rumble, but I think this year was as close to it as you're ever going to get. Then you move forward to No Way Out, and we're just talking pay-per-view matches here alone. And the two out of three falls, three stages of hell match was uh, against Triple H was unbelievable, booking questionable, but in-ring, fantastic. One of the greatest spectacle matches of all time in the main event of WrestleMania. And then we pick it up as the year goes on, if if that's even possible. We have the an excellent uh, match on TV in the, the tag match that Triple H gets injured in. Um, and then you have the two matches against uh, Angle at SummerSlam and uh, Unforgiven. And I think probably just because he's so good on the mic and as a character and as a personality, we, we probably, we probably are all guilty of times of underappreciating just how good this man is in the ring and the caliber of match he can put on and the caliber of spectacle he delivers pretty much every, every time he's in there on a pay-per-view, you know, you're in store for a classic. Um, probably more in the spirit of the, of the award overall, Kurt Angle who we've spoken about in this category before we've spoken about as a great worker and how he's risen to the top in near record time, really in terms of like overall um, experience. 
and he's just a guy who's had just great match after great match after great match um and again like you can go through his pay-per-view record of the year and the angle benoit match at wrestlemania x7 was was something special and then the, the the matches against Austin, the, the SummerSlam match, finish aside, magnificent. And then when he wins the title and it, he starts the uh, year as the WWF champion. And I mean, if if Eric's booking, maybe he, he ends the year as WWF champion. Um, two guys who have carried the in-ring main event scene of this company far earlier than 2001, but certainly throughout the whole of 2001. Um, with some great matches and I think they're two very different wrestlers but they've shown in their matches together that they've got um, exceptional chemistry in the ring and out of the ring uh, in segments together and it certainly bleeds over to their matches as far as Rob Van Dam goes he's had some great matches as well um, but I'll leave a little bit of juice in the tank for um, Lacey in particular to follow up on as I'm sure he wants to wax lyrical about RVD on you go then, Lacey. Get them revved. So, first things first, Austin has been great this year with the fact that he's pretty much all he can do is brawl now. And, you know, he has had great main events. Angle is probably the best technically sound wrestler of the generation, if not all time but my work of the year is clearly the whole fucking show Rob Van Dam he's just full of surprises isn't he everybody just when you think you got him pegged he has come in with his unorthodox ECW style and has not fucking compromised a single bit of it and has been in there with Jericho Rock, Angle Austin, Taker Look at everyone, all the main event at level guys, and still has his match, his way, and it doesn't look out of place. He is still doing sports entertainment style, which is obviously what the Fed is built on, and yet still being able to do everything that makes RVD unique and is showing on a bigger stage. What I've been saying for the past, what, five years? That this guy is the greatest high-flying hybrid wrestler there is. And has been, to me, the best worker because he has been able to come in and be there straight away at the level of the Fed. And yeah, you know, yeah, he did lose in his main event title match, but he was there and fucking earned it and deserved it. And God bless him until Vince decides that he's going to shit all over him. Like he had started with that Undertaker match at Vengeance. We've got that, five, six months of where, you know, RVD was the man of the Alliance. I'm not so sure, well, about a couple of things there, really, but 
I think it's a little bit unfair now to call Austin just a brawler in 2001. I think his body of work this year alone uh, has been markedly different to his 98-99 work. Given the state of his neck, because these things don't heal on their own time, uh, I think that's all the more to push forward for him. Not that I get a say, at least not yet. Dan Welling, your thoughts on Worker of the Year? I completely agree with you, Roy. I mean, I can just think of the match he had with Chris Benoit on SmackDown, which was pretty much an in-ring technician match, and it was outstanding. And uh, the match with Kurt Angle, the first match, is pretty much... It's not. I wouldn't call it a brawl. It's not going all around the arena. It's not punching or kicking. It's a, it's it's a just a violent heel match. And I wouldn't call that a brawl either. So yeah, I completely agree with you. And when you look at Austin's body of work this year, it's insane. Yeah, you know, five, like nine out of ten plus matches in a year for someone who. Yes, I know he's been given the opportunities, but to deliver every single time effectively is incredible like, there's no denying that at all and and the same goes for Kurt I think last year we said look we all can see that he's brilliant in the ring he just hasn't got the tippy top body of work to warrant being ahead of people like Triple H this year he bloody has there's his three-way matches with Benoit obviously were excellent because it's got Chris Benoit in it but he also managed to gra- drag Shane McMahon to a great match the rights and wrongs of that are up for another how how far they went, but that's still an excellent match. We know how good his matches with Austin were. And let's not forget the excellent match he had with The Rock as well in No Way Out. And the very good match he had with Triple H as well in the Royal Rumble. So Kurt Angle for me is is probably going to be where my vote lies because I think he if you took body of work with him and Austin, they're pretty much a an a minus but angles ability all-round ability technical know-how brawling wf main event style drama he's got it all and again we we forget about it because he does it but he's only been doing this for two years and it's incredible for me to to say that um i think personally rob van dam is is far below the other two i think i got criticized last year by lacy for nominating chris benoit for the work of the year in 2000 when he said Chris Benoit's just done what Chris Benoit does in the WWF and I can argue that's exactly the same thing as what Rob Van Dam's done he hasn't shown anything new he hasn't shown me that he can do a, another gear to what RVD does but he's so good at what he does that he doesn't need to do it that makes sense but I would say that his his inability to change is actually a drawback because there's loads of reports that he's not as safe in the ring as someone like one two three kid sean whatmore next pack as with that similar style of violent kicking flexible quick wrestling jericho angle etc have all said this guy's not that safe and when you're at the wwf being flashy and amazing is awesome and it gets you over but if you aren't trusted by the main event level talent and you know angle in particular doesn't trust you then there's a problem and i think again the six months that he had with the wwf has also dragged down his stock particularly when you compare him with another six-month person in chris benoit who i didn't nominate for the record but in my opinion had a better six-month body of work than Bob van damme does and is a better wrestler so for the record my vote will be kurt angle but austin is bloody close eric let's keep it in the ring 
I'll be very brief here. Um, I love RVD, and I actually don't think there's much difference in the way of how Chris Lacey and I see RVD, other than I don't think he's the worker of the year. I think he's an incredible worker, and I think our Rob Van Dam matches are, generally speaking, amazing and breathtaking, and he does shit that other people don't do. But you got to look at this a little bit wider. And so I, I I agree with Dan that it's super close between Angle and Austin. Austin just you you know when he gets in there that he's gonna give you everything you expect and more. And I, I do think it is a bit dismissive to call him a brawler, a straight brawler at this point. Certainly that's where his tendencies have gone. He's not stunning Steve anymore. And we have seen that when he needs to pull those tools out of his toolbox with a Benoit, with an angle. Uh, he can definitely do it. But guys, like, I never I never thought that I would consider not thinking that Bret Hart was the best in-ring technician, in-ring worker that I've ever seen in, in you know, basically in, in the modern era. But Krangle's damn close, man. And that guy... Everything he does is tight, it's smooth, it's quick, it looks real, which is the conceit of this whole operation. Dan, I, I agree it's worth shouting out Benoit here. I just think the injury um, took him out of consideration. And if he's the worker of the year, he, and he, he and Kurt Angle had several matches together, and y'all didn't see fit to nominate any of them. Uh, as we'll talk about later, I don't see how we can consider Benoit the worker of the year in that in that sense as well. But I think it's Angle just because, like, I don't know that we'll – I don't know how he can get better. But, like, everybody has pointed out, he's only two years in at this point, three maybe if you count a year of training. I love me some Austin, but I think it's Angle. Uh, Lacey, I think I know where we're going. The whole, whole fucking show, Mr. PPV RBD. Each and every. So Chris White and Dan Welling have got a bit of work to do here. So let's go to Chris White first. I really was hoping you wouldn't come to me first. I'm sure you were, but oh, God, you, you, you spoke earlier, so, so you've actually so, time. Eric, have you locked in your vote for Angle then? Uh, or, or I, I think. No, I, I I think I'll lock in with Angle. Okay. Go for it. All right. Sorry, I wasn't I wasn't meant to like yeah make you go early there. I was just I was just seeing the lay of the land. If if you've locked in with Angle, then I I think I'm just gonna. Because I'm so torn on this, because I've loved everything that both men has, have done. I'm so torn between Austin and Angle that I think I'm just going to risk. I don't think Dan will vote for RVD. So if I vote for Austin here, then it just gives Dan a straight shot at picking a winner. So I'm going to give my vote to Stan Cosby, Austin. Oh, ladled you there, Welling. We've, we've all fine. had to do it in our time, and now it's your turn. It's fine. Chris White can do all he wants to try and make Stone Cold Steve Austin win every single award going. But <laughs> it's not going to happen on this one. It's Kurt Angle. Woo! So we're in grave danger here, of, despite him being the best worker and the best personality, Austin not winning a single award. I would suggest there's not much danger in that. It's like This is like Craig David. That's all I got to say. Thanks for my people supporting me. So why'd you feel me? Six nominations, no Brits for CD. 
Will Steve Austin be walking away from these awards? No, sorry, that's the best I could fucking do. Anyway, it's, anyway that, was angle, that was good. Thank you, I'll take it. And thank you, Chris, to come back at you. You said only last year that Angle was going to win this award one day, and today is that day. We didn't have to wait another seven days' worth of awards for him to win it. <laughs> ah, there we go. Right, and now, Lacey, I'm going to throw it to you first to fill me in on segments of the year. That's the last one, I promise. I can't think of any more. Uh, unless, unless any of our listeners have enjoyed these so much, they want to re-rewind and check out some of the earliest. Let's do segments, shall we? Fucking hell. Just, right. just stop it, Rory. <laughs> quit, quit while you're behind, man. Okay. So the nominations for segments of the year. Then, Lacey, I'll go to you first. We have got the Stone Cold on Rock sit-down interview from the 22nd of March Smackdown. We have got what we must now call the simulcast. I think you know what I mean. We've got the return of the old Stone Cold on the 16th of July Raw. We've got the Paul Heyman anti-Vince promos. He got one before Invasion and one before Survivor Series. They both got enough votes to make the threshold, but they were similar enough for me to merge them into one here, so they both make it. And we've got Milkamania from the 20th of August Raw. So Lacey, kick us off. I will keep this nice and sweet because I will just go straight in with what should and hopefully will win segment of the year. Heyman being the god that he is coming out and telling the home troops about how we all really do feel about the Fed and Vince and being the only thing when we came to the end of the invasion that actually was real about it was Heyman's vitriol of Vince and Vince taking all of his ideas and packaging it as the Attitude Era and taking all of his guys and taking his TV. There was, as we said on the Survivor Series show you know it was just truth bomb after truth bomb after truth bomb and you know Vince probably at the end there went to come back and went that was some good shit pal bit tight but bit snug but good shit because Vince doesn't see when he's being told the truth but for me Heyman Heyman obviously won has already won best personality and these are Heyman's best moments. Eric, what's on the board here? Yeah, I, I, I agree with Lacey that there's one clear cut winner here, but I don't know that it's the same. It's the same one. Um, I think we have a lot of segments here that, so the milk truck it's derivative of a prior thing. Like it was fun for what it was. It was a callback, but like it, I don't think it really belongs on the list. Um, and kind of the same with old stone cold. Like, is it weird that I didn't specifically remember what that was until I rewatched it? Because there've been so many kind of weird, like Austin turns and Austin and Vince and Austin and the Alliance situations this year, that one got lost in the mix. I think, Lacey covered the Heyman promos really, really well. And the Austin Rocks sit down in the lead up to Mania is just some of the best uh, storytelling that you'll ever see. But like 
we've already seen it replayed a million times. There's no question in my mind that we're going to be seeing this that simulcast on the on the the final Nitro slash uh, you know Raw. Uh, the name on the contract says McMahon, but it says Shane McMahon. Like that that is the epitome of a McMahon owned segment that went really really well and they're going to shove down our throats but with good reason because it was incredible and it was it was the best it was the absolute best part of any of this invasion alliance stuff and it was the first night of it so i think that segment is going to be one that we're going to be seeing for a long time and i don't know that the rest of these will be Dan. Um, I, I don't know if I can include it as part of the segment, but I want to include Classy Freddie Blassie's speech to the WWF locker room as part of the Old Stone Cold Returns part. Yes, I will leave it up to the Electoral Commission and see if I can get away with that, because I think it's, in, it's so vitally important to the overall context of that segment. Um, I'm trying to think of a moment of the entire invasion where the crowd has been that invested in a moment and when austin is pulling up to the arena in his truck and he gets out and starts whipping ass to the, to the jobbers the crowd lose their minds the crowd continues to lose their minds even more as he goes through into the backstage locker rooms and then they go absolutely wild and it's probably we we think back to those 1998 1999 stone cold steve austin pops i think that's probably higher than a lot of them and the segment itself it if you include fresley blassie's speech then it was the moment i think we we that was the peak of the invasion angle because it was this is this is war now you've got a general in paul Heyman, as lacy has eloquently said telling everyone what they want to know about Vince and what actually is true. And yes, you can actually understand why the Alliance are gunning for him. But then Freddie Blassie comes in and you understand that the WWF here are going to defend their home turf with everything they've got. And it's time to basically take back what they have. And that's the moment in kayfabe that Stone Cold Steve Austin realizes that he's going to come back and change it and change the course of history by um, being the captain of WWF, and it's an incredible moment, and I think it's the one moment that WWF really peaked with this invasion angle because it it set the tone for invasion and probably was one half, you know, a, a good reason why WWF um, got so many buys for the invasion pay per view um, because you, they built up to it so well. A simulcast um, of WCW and, and WWF is historic. And I know we've given historic moments same of the year before, I'm pretty sure with Mike Tyson. I just feel that it, it it didn't elicit the same emotions in me that it did for Eric. And maybe that's because um I'm not as close to WCW as as most of some of the guys on this podcast are. And for me, being more of a WWF fan that came into it a bit later down the road. That's probably why the Austin return of the old Stone Cold returning drew so much in for me. Um, so if I can cheat and well not cheat, but in my head canon include the Freddie Blassie moment, I that, that would be my vote. However, if not, then I will 
we'll change it. I'll leave it up to the electoral commission for that. Dan, does that mean you're counting Undertaker's bit before that, where you know <laughs> he he does his rah rah speech too? No. <laughs> yes, if you're having if you're having Black, Freddie Blassie, you have to take the Undertaker bit too. Honestly, if we were getting old Undertaker back this year, I would have voted for that ahead of all this other stuff. Stop making sense, Lacey. That's Chris why White, I'm quick. here. <laughs> I want you just... Chris White, help, help a brother out. So I'm going to immediately discard Paul Heyman for the same reason that Austin was discarded from personality. He's already won an award for these promos. He doesn't need another one. <laughs> Oh, cutting, my boy, cutting. Um, Battle lines. So, yeah. Also, I've waxed lyrical about them on the November show, and they're fucking great. But um, Milk and Mania, I kind of, I did vote for it, but I kind of do agree with you, Eric. We've, it's, it's, that's played up from what we've seen before. By that logic, I think the old Stone Cold kind of falls into that a little bit for me as well, um, particularly because the old Stone Cold doesn't hang around for too long and it's kind of undercut. So for me, this 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 category comes down to my personal favourite segment of the year, which is the Stone Cold Rock Sit Down interview, which, Eric, you quite rightly sort of likened to a big heavyweight boxing fight um, or something like that. I think it like almost transcended wrestling, um, that interview leading into WrestleMania. And as a wrestling fan, <laughs> that's a big deal. Um and probably the, the biggest segment that perhaps we've covered in the simulcast. And just the, the that being the culmination of this podcast really in many ways and, and when it started what, seven, eight years ago? And the journey of WCW take and the, the the Monday Night Wars and and that's that's the end of it and I I do think it comes down to the segment I enjoyed the most or or probably the most important segment of the year so for me it's a fifty fifty shot on those two segments for this category. I'll give you a little chance to think about it but only a little one because it is voting time. The voice of reason, Mr. Chris Lacey. Heyman. Eric. The name on the contract says McMahon, but it says Shane McMahon. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's like you're there. Dan. Yeah, I can't. I can't get away with including the Blasty segment. So I'm going to go for Paul. Paul Heyman. Oh, Oh, my. Okay, well, I'm going to vote simulcast then, because... <laughs> <laughs> going to make me work. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we've got to work this out. Whitey's getting he's getting the rub of the green here by dumping it on our shoulders. So I need to I need to think about this more often, about who gets to choose at any one time. He says stalling for time, scratching his chin conspiratorially. They're both very different, because I admit I didn't vote for the simulcast as one of my top three, but for those of you who picked it here so chris and eric just very briefly are you talking the simulcast as a whole or are you specifically talking about the last 15 minutes of it vince mcmahon coming to the ring doing the thumbs up thumbs down 
Goldberg, ah, Hogan, ah, and then Shane coming on the screen. That whole the whole thing, man. That fifteen or twenty minute deal, like. I'm telling you, you can vote for it or not, but that's the segment of the year because we're going to be watching that shit for the rest of our lives. We did a whole fucking episode about that. That's we enough. Just... You know what? That's enough for me. It is the simulcast because we will never see its like again. I'm not entirely convinced that Heyman's not going to be given another shot at this. Different context, different circumstances in the future. I think, as I said, on the November 2001 Volume 2 show, Vince loved hearing all that stuff thrown at him and he'll be happy to give Hey, with a second round, and he'll be happy enough to deliver it. But you're right. WCW closing its doors on WWF television, and in the same trice, kicking off one of the hugest, or just genuinely kicking off one of the hugest angles at WrestleMania and a storyline for all its undoubted flaws that ran for most of the rest of the year. And it's everything Vince McMahon ever wanted, all the way back to Black Wednesday, if you like. It's got to be the simulcast. So it takes it. Hopefully not too many ties for me to decide, though, because it's supposed to be you doing the work. I'm just the scorer. But Lacey, you did do some pre-work for this by giving us a brand new sort of award today. It is called the Vince Russo Award for Unbearable Shitness. Could you take us through the history of said award, if you would, good sir? So the, the Russo Award began its life as the Wahoo McDaniel Award for Ultimate Unbearable Amounts of Shitness. Because as we all know, Wario McDaniel is an unbearable amount of giant shit. But it has been renamed due to it being won three years in a row by Captain Shitstain, Vince Russo. <laughs> and as such, rebranded in a way of being the Russo Award for unbearable levels of shitness. The concept of this is where we, the wrestling fan, look at things that have happened in the wrestling year that we look at and go, oh, fuck, we're wrestling fans and we're meant to like this. Oh, shit. So it can be terrible segments, terrible people, terrible matches, or just downright fucking stupid shit that if, you know, People outside of watching wrestling saw it when, what the fuck are you watching and why the fuck are you watching this? So, this year's nominees. And on that note, let's go through them, shall we? It, do, it just works as the Russo Award, doesn't it? And well done, Lacey, for getting the concept of Russo in there again. Uh, Davinda worked that one in in part three of our November show. And you, it's, we're going to have to write the book one day, people. You've mentioned it far too often over the last two years. We're all going to get a chapter each. But are, we, the Russo... are, we, are we not finding a way to give him the the award again? <laughs> Unfortunately, well, he ain't around this year to get it. I know, it. but like, did he not like well, write he had a that, shit he... blog somewhere or something like that that we can really lay into? No, he was involved with that Australian deal. That was pretty bad, right? Didn't that? We happen? need to go back and review it so we can give him this award. Yeah, this is a. We're just going to give somebody else the award here to hold it. Uh, yeah. Until we can review that Australian show. Yeah, good call. In our spleens, Vince Russo wins this award. But for the sake of posterity, let's go through the horrors we do have before us. Trish Stratus, Bark Like a Dog, on the 5th of March Raw. Got Stephanie McMahon comparing 9-11 to The Steroid Trial on the 13th of September Smackdown. We've got The Invasion again, but I'm not going to let that win. Come on, let's broaden it out a bit. Although I understand why it's there. The Many Faces of DDP makes it here. 
And the injury to China, inverted commas, in her match versus Ivory back at the Royal Rumble. <sighs> Eric, you have the unenviable task, make sure I get it right this time, of trawling through this. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give the I'm gonna give this attention or this this category the the little attention that it deserves. Um what did I even vote what did I even vote for here? Let me look here. Uh, I, okay. So I, I voted for stuff that I don't even like, I, I'm not even going to vote for my own, my own nominees here. Cause the, the, the fellas came in much stronger than I did. The China thing was really stupid, but they kind of, it, it didn't ultimately matter. It was, it was dumb and it was kind of cringy. And it's one of those things where if you're watching with other people and it happens, you're just like, yeah, I, I do like wrestling, but it's fine. I'm still cool. Um, but in DDP, like, I don't know. It was it was cringy, but there was something there was something there to be done with it if he hadn't just taken the L to Sarah on Raw. Like I don't know. DDP could have still been something had they brought him in with the stalker. This to me, this category comes down to two things. And it just it what part of your brain do you want the most offended? Um, I think is 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 where what we're looking at here. And it comes down to, again, McMahon's circle jerk, which should be the subtitle for this entire volume, I think. But Stephanie McMahon comparing her, the steroid trial to 9-11, and, and, mm, or bark like a dog. Th- these two things really do emphasize that the, the World Wrestling Federation, as I will call it forever, um, has... It still absolutely lacks a moral compass and context for society. This is not going to be some philosophical, you know, waxing. I just think, do I want the social progressive part of me that says, see somebody like Trish Stratus barking like a dog in the ring and being completely humiliated on television? Or do I want like the geopolitical part of me that completely insulted by Stephanie McMahon comparing her dad being alleged to be distributing steroids to Hulk Hogan and others, the same as the worst national attack on U.S. soil. And I'm far from a patriot, but goddamn, that lacks any sort of decency or or context or or really anything. I think because it actually affected one of the performers and actually subjected somebody that really didn't do anything wrong but sign a contract with the WWF, I think... For me, like the bark like a dog is slightly more offensive, and that's kind of where I'm putting my hat now. But I really want to see where the gentlemen take this because I think I can be persuaded here between these two just absolutely abhorrent, offensive uh, entries into a honestly like pretty impressive uh, group of uh, nominees this year. Indeed, Chris White. I think we can all agree. There are no real winners here. No, um, as as ever, this award is just a complete shit show. And sometimes we can give it to like terrible comedy wrestling, like Vince Russo. Well, no, R- Vince Russo's wrestling isn't meant to be comedy, but it's so bad that it's beyond that. But sometimes there's real life consequences and issues that get raised by an award like this and and these nominees and 
they're not fun to discuss or to talk about. And I do hold a level of resentment for the WWF giving us so many choices in this award and all of them being pretty shit. Um, the Invasion DDP, personally, I'm going to discard despite nominating, I think, The Invasion. But we've, we've, we have discussed that and it has rightly won the worst booking decision um, of the year. Um, and DDP's wrapped up in that. I think um, in pretty much any other year of this show, China and the injury angle at the Rumble and sort of how we got from there to WrestleMania and truly the only low point of that show really being the China match. And um, coming from the, the neck injury stuff and all of that and that being pretty shit. But just to how manufactured and inauthentic that felt compared to the rest of that magnificent show, that would have a shout. But I, much like Eric, I, I'm very torn between the bark like a dog and the Stephanie's comments regarding um, 9-11. I mean, so the bark like a dog, the, the, some of the quotes from Vince are just appalling. The whole Vince and Trish stuff was a, really a black mark in the build to WrestleMania 17. Her, him asking her to speak in dog language to convey her apologies, making her crawl like a dog. And actually, I want to sort of point out that Paul Heyman, this is one of his low points of the year. He was really terrible on commentary during this segment. Like, like yeah, King sad. levels bad. Um, whooping and cheering along the whole time from the commentary seat for this. As is his Chris, job. could you imagine how bad Lawler would have been during this? Oh, oh, infinitely worse. Like, don't get me wrong, but it's just wrapped up in, in this segment. And, yeah, um, poor Trish having to subject herself to this um, on national television and at work and having to go backstage and just have the, the eyes of her colleagues on her. And I, I think about how, what that must do to a person mentally. And to be quite honest, I think it's pretty abhorrent. Um, and Stephanie's comments, again, it's, it's as Eric said, it circles all back to the McMahons. And comparing the attack on the United States and to her father's involvement in that steroid issue um, is just unbelievable. And the, the self-centeredness of the, the comments, after the, the death toll from the 9-11 attacks, and the way she sort of opens up and talks about a few years ago about how people tried to destroy my family and my father's reputation, my mother's reputation. And I'm like, who gives a fuck about your reputation after it? Like at the best of times, but in the fallout of obviously predominantly a national tragedy, but in many ways, a global Western tragedy as well. Like, I, I, I mean, you, the, Eric aside, the, the four of us, I'm sure, can all remember where we were that day and, and seeing elements of it on the news over here. And obviously there's a, a predominantly patriotic uh, side to that as it was an attack on U.S. soil against U.S. citizens. But I vividly remember that day um, and, and probably will for the rest of my life. And I, I just think that um, there have been degrading segments in wrestling Years and well, in in the WWF certainly, many years on end. But rarely has there been a segment that could offend just so many people globally, and the like egregious um, selfishness and just to make a situation that couldn't be further from anything to do with you 
about you on a night of like remembrance and what otherwise was a very like poignant show for Stephanie to come on and do that. I, I, I think it's one of the worst things I've ever seen the WWF put on TV. Lacey, when you come up with something called the Russo Award, it's a case of reaping what you sow. And look what's growing through the soil. And it's going to take some cutting down. Yeah. So as like everyone's hit, Invasion was shit. DDP going from stalker to smiley shit to yoga instructor was shit. The, the injury angle, we've seen them before. It's nothing new. It just was in, it just was in a little bit of bad taste at the time. The Trish stuff. Obviously, everyone has covered this so far, and I concur with everything they've said. But it's not a fucking isolated incident. Look at the whole thing with him and Tory Wilson, with Vince and Tory Wilson, just before the invasion. Creepy perv trying to, you know, slip a finger. I think that's different. I'm sorry then, to cut you off, Lacey. I think that's different. I, yes, Vince, we all know where his proclivities lie, but with the Vince Tory Wilson stuff, for example, in the end, it was Vince who was caught with his hand in the nookie jar, so to speak. He got his instant comeuppance. This was Trish Stratus, the person, being forced to bark like a dog on national television. There yeah, is a difference. I'm, no, I'm I'm just using it as a context. The the worst part of that was the whole Trish, one of it, but. I'm just it is Vince, as, I as agree. A, as a it's, it's all thing Vince. As Vince. You know, then even going as far as the night after Survivor Series, getting his ass out to get Regal to kiss it and go, look, I can make it do tricks, pal. Indeed. There is something... You know, the fucking Kiss My wrong. Ass Club should... Sorry, Lisa, the fucking Kiss My Ass Club should be on this list too, just for the record. I think if it had happened a bit earlier in the year, it would have done. JR in Oklahoma could have made it on here as well, but recently unbiased, maybe. Maybe I'll allow it to be voted for next year. So I'll carry on, Lacey. But it's 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 a bigger problem than just the Trish segment, is what I'm trying to, to go with on this, is that Vince thinks himself some sort of alpha male that can make people be that subservient to him and degrade themselves for his entertainment and you know that's why i brought up the the tory stuff and the kiss my ass club and that sort of shit because the pinnacle of it was what he did to trish there is no fucking need for that and any other company where their employees have rights because remember pal you're an independent contractor so you have Fuck all rights. No fucker would get away with that. But because Vince is the fucking king of his castle and has bent the rules in such a way that he can get away with it, it happens. Stephanie, the Stephanie thing, it came out of her mouth. She's a stupid cunt for saying it. Kevin Dunn is a stupid cunt for letting it go out on air because they all those segments were pre-recorded during the day just play a fucking different one but to me it's it's fucking abhorrent what she said and 
fucking stupid they let it out. But Vince as a whole and his misogyny and just cuntishness of look at me, I'm great and you will fucking do what I tell you because I am your fucking god is the true meaning behind Trish barking like a dog and that's what's going in the Russo. Well said, sir. Dan, let's get the bad stuff out of the way quickly then. Good things all the way until the end of the show, but last time, I promise. Yeah, I I, I fully agree with Lacey. Um, I, I completely understand how absolutely atrocious those remarks that Stephanie made um, were, and it's fully deserving, and probably any other year would win this award. Um, I can, in my canon, give an excuse to it to say, the emotions after that event were running very high and you could in your that state make connections in your brain that in a rational world you would never ever do and that's the only excuse I can make for her to to come up with that but ultimately excuses at the end of the day are, are just that and you shouldn't take to them but for me let's put it this way Sky Sports who is our UK provider for WWF programming mm-hmm have given carte blanche to the WWF for the last three years of their PG-13 slash R-rated programming. They have showed everything, everything except for this Bark Like a Dog segment. They went, that's going too far. And if that is happening, there is something horribly, heinously wrong with a segment like that. And I do think it triggers people about who, who do suffer from domestic abuse. Mm-hmm. That's how bad it is. Not physical, but mental. And it's it, if there's any terms where WWF are shining a mirror on one of the worst aspects of society and making it too real, then you're crossing, even by WWF standards, a, a awful line that needs to be stamped off. And I'm glad Sky said, no, we're not airing this segment for for sure. And yeah, it's definitely my vote. I think it's going it's going into real world territory that I don't think even Stephanie's comments do. Again, all too well said. Chris White, Eric Landstrom, I'm putting no pressure on you to, to even pick a winner here because I said again, there aren't any. But for completion's sake, where do you want to go with here? Just just, just so we can say, we can tick it off the box because I, I don't mean, really want to talk about these for much longer, to be honest. They're, they're both abhorrent and I don't disagree with anything any of the points made about any of them it's a bit of a coin flip between the two but for me just because of the national and even global scale of it um i guess i'd I'd go with stephanie's comments but this is with no sort of like passion or argument to it eric final thoughts and i'll tell you now i am not if this ends up 2-2 i'm not gonna decide a winner from this one so say your piece you won't have to. I think I'm convinced in terms of the interpersonal effects that this could have on, you know, people watching this and maybe you're a victim of abuse or maybe you're just not somebody who wants to show on wrestling and watch somebody be completely exploited. Chris's comments about the 9-11 stuff are completely well-founded and any other year that would have run away with it. But seeing somebody like Trish just humiliated like that and as Lacey said, it speaks to the larger issue with the McMahons and how this company can basically get away with anything. I think my vote goes for Bark Like a Dog. It gets three to one, but it really doesn't matter. 
I talked about Barkley like a dog at length on our WrestleMania preview show. Talked about the 9-11 sterile trial comparison on our September show. So all I'm going to say now before I gladly move on. In both instances, Trish Stratus being forced to bark like a dog on national television. Stephanie McMahon comparing the deaths of 3,000 innocent people to a steroid trial from seven years ago. In both instances, the McMahons believed that they were right. Okay, fuck that over. Best show. This is more like it. Right then, Dan. Quality stuff all the way to the end here. So best show. We've got Royal Rumble, No Way Out, The Invasion. Oh, yeah, and uh, that WrestleMania thing as well. So as I say, Dan, we'll go to you first as to what you think is going to finish second for best show of the year. (laughs) I feel so sorry for Royal Rumble 2001. It's literally, I think, the second best show we've, we've reviewed on this entire project. I think I gave it a 9.5 out of 10. I've never given... And the Canadian Stampede is better than Canadian Stampede. It's better than Great American Bash 96. It's better than Heatwave. It's better than Survivor Series. It's better than every single show that's one show of the year. But like Ross and, Ross and Rachel, when he's making the list about, oh, which, which person do I go for? Do I go for Julie? Do I go for Rachel? You make all these references, right? Why Royal Rumble's amazing. You go, oh, it's the best Royal Rumble since 92. It's the best undercard since 90, you know, like ever. It's got a match of the year candidate on it. But it's not WrestleMania 17. Uh, I do not have chubby ankles. No, no, wait, 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 wait. Okay, okay, look at the other side. Look at Julie's column. She's not Rachel? What the hell's a Rachel? That's a stupid paleontology word that I wouldn't know because I'm just a waitress. Rachel, come on. So WrestleMania 17 going to come second, okay? I'll mark that one off. (laughs) You've got to try to make these things interesting, haven't you? Uh, Chris White, any chance? Um, I'm going to give a a vague honourable mention to King of the Ring, which, having watched it back recently, I I enjoyed a lot more. Um, And and that's probably another another shout for uh, Kurt Angle's Worker of the Year contendership. And um, so, yeah, get that one out of the way. I mean, the answer is WrestleMania 17. The the other three shows are all excellent. Dan kind of took Royal Rumble, so I guess I'll go with No Way Out. Um, I tolerated (laughs) a big show match, which speaks volumes for how much I enjoyed the show. Um, Stephanie and Trish deserve a lot of credit for that, that show. Um, Three stages hell was excellent, despite the bullshit outcome. Uh, the tables match was good, despite the uh, presence of the Undertaker, <laughs> and the main event was very good as well. Um, it, it personally, would again, I'd have Royal Rumble over it, but I think No Way Out is a as another sleeper show, and I, I think we were just so lucky. Um, despite it turns out, like as we discussed with the the previous award, some problematic stuff occurring on TV around that time. Um, that free pay-per-view stretch of Royal Rumble, No Way Out, WrestleMania to start the year is just mind-blowingly good. Lacey, you wanted to say something about Invasion while you had the chance. So Invasion was a fucking great show. Um, and if it would have been one and done, it would have been perfect. Because we had... Match of the year, but it's not on the bloody list. 
RVD versus Jeff Hardy, which was fucking amazing. The first proper inaugural brawl. There was stakes to it. You know, each match was Team Alliance versus the Fed. You know, it was a counting them up to who would actually win the invasion match. And, you know, of course, we had the turn of Austin at the end. And it, it was, for a B pay-per-view, perfect. As everyone said so far, Rumble, arguably the best full show Rumble ever. Not the best actual Rumble match, it's still 92. But as a as a complete pay-per-view, the best Royal Rumble ever. And then WrestleMania 17 happened. If you, if you want to hear us talk about it, just go back to April and listen to that show. We did four hours on it. You know where you, you know where this ends. Well, where that show ends is Eric reserving the rights to change his grade from 10 out of 10 to WrestleMania with some months distance. Eric, here we and are. Fully, yeah, no, and I fully expected to do that uh, here, assuming I would be invited back. And I was. Thank you. Um <laughs> I that show is a 10 out of 10 and I think the way that <sighs> they neutral I, I think the way that they neutralized the Austin turn with the invasion stuff I think it really tempered a lot of that just taste in my mouth in a weird way Chris White and I almost switched seat, switched seats on that because now I think that his argument um for it ended up being stronger because it ended up really not mattering I was a little bit surprised that SummerSlam didn't make the cut here, um, especially over Invasion. I think SummerSlam was a pretty good show. I, I'm always a little more biased to the shows that I that I write and produce uh, for the show because I have to watch them and, and, and you know dive into them with a lot more detail. But I really enjoyed it. Good watch. But yeah, the stretch from Rumble to No Way Out to X7 is just incredible. And I, I would give it to Rumble um, just because that is a hard show to do well, top to bottom. And I think if you look at the stretch of like quality WWF shows over the years, the Rumble may have the biggest variance between like good shows to bad. 1995, <laughs> looking right at you. Um, but uh, I, I, I mean, number two is the Royal Rumble. Number one is X7. That is a 10 on 10 show. No need to push this one to a vote. I don't think we all gave it 10 out of 10 on the show we did back in April. Both Royal Rumble and No Way Out deserve more than their time in dispatches. Kind of hope WrestleMania 17 hadn't happened because a straight fight between Rumble and No Way Out, a 9.5 and a 9 average pay-per-view, I think. That could have been quite special. But 2001, everybody, and almost certainly the greatest pay-per-view we will ever see in the course of this project. I'd be amazed if it even came close to topping it again. If they managed to hit a nine average with any show going forward, they've done extremely well. Because WrestleMania 17 is everything Vince McMahon wanted since the end of March 1987. I doubt in his heart of hearts, even he thought it was going to happen again. But it did. And twice, thrice, four times over. WrestleMania 17, probably the most obvious pick we've ever done in the nine years of this award. But obvious things are obvious for a reason. Which brings us to best match. So I'm just going to go through these in chronological order. So, dear listener, you can work out very quickly some of the matches that haven't made it in here. We have four to go through. We have Benoit Jericho, the ladder match from the Royal Rumble. Pause. We have Rock versus Austin from WrestleMania 17. Think of the ground that covers. 
Then we jump to Benoit and Jericho versus Austin and Triple H from the 21st of May Raw. Then we have Austin versus Angle from SummerSlam. Wither, three stages of hell. Wither, TLC2. Indeed, Lacey, Wither, RVD versus Jeff Hardy. But those are the four matches we have to go on. Again, I'm going to recap. Make sure you all heard me correctly. Benoit Jericho at the Rumble. Rock versus Austin at WrestleMania. Benoit and Jericho versus the two-man power trip on Raw from May. And Austin versus Angle from SummerSlam. Let's go with what we do have. Oh, I'm hopping. Eric, take over fast if you don't mind. Oh, I do mind. And I'm very upset. <laughs> we all mind this award. Because not only... Nobody's truly did, happy here. Not only did my match not make this list, it didn't make your ancillary list. And what I'm realizing is that y'all like gimmicks and car crashes a lot better than you like perfect technical wrestling. I'll leave it there. Um, I We're really going to put Benoit Jericho here over TLC? Really? Um, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm salty to use the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast vernacular over that one as well. In if the conceit if the conceit is that we're going to accept those matches as as the same as your your angle Benoit's and your uh, amazing technical matches then that that match belongs here. I don't even remember the Benoit Jericho match because it was like the fourth best match on the Royal Rumble. Um the tag match on oh, Raw start sure. with the Jericho hate dude. Sure, that was, um, <laughs> I've barely started. Here we go. Um, <laughs> take it long enough look a tag match with little stakes on the main event of Raw is fun and it's cool and it was awesome that Triple H tore his quad and finished the match and gosh isn't Triple H just the best in Triple H and Triple H and Triple H alright and Jericho all right, on go. carry on <laughs> gosh isn't he in Jericho gosh isn't he isn't he just wonderful a shining star but like some, it was a main event tag team match of Raw. It was a great match, but I'm not convinced it wasn't a match that wasn't so good because everybody talked about how good it was. Um, I think there's two clear-cut winners here in this in this um, category, and it goes back to the feud of the year. Like, how do we want our how do we want our feuds to culminate, or in, in the Rock Austin sense, and how do we want our feuds to kind of peak in the Austin Angle sense? Um, Austin Angle was fabulous, and I think Chris White, was that you and I who did that show? Yep, it was. And you, you, I was a little bit more down on it, and you talked me into it, and I went back and watched it kind of through your eyes, and boy, that is just an incredible piece of business right there. And honestly, I understand why they did the finish the way they did with the disqualification and Austin and, and all that, and it makes a lot of sense. But the main event, of the biggest show of all time that we've basically just given a 40 out of 42 um, in a match that is, is the best match that these two have ever had. I didn't necessarily vote for this match going into it, but looking at all the criteria that goes into what the best match is, crowd engagement, work, result, impact, etc. I think it's going to be hard to beat rock Austin here. If matches include things beyond good work by workers that, we like in gimmick matches. Oh, Dan, I've got to let you off the leash now. You just hate ladder matches in general. Like 
Chris Ben, what you I, voted Triple like H versus them, The I, Rock look, in SummerSlam nineteen ninety eight as the match of the year over Hell in a Cell, which I didn't even vote for. Dustin, you know, Dude Love versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. I haven't forgotten about that. And Me the fact that you can you can <laughs> say that this Chris Benoit Chris Jericho ladder match is was not went as good as that match is insanity to me. I didn't, uh, but I didn't say that. 1998 was an absolute dog shit year for in-ring work. Just one of the worst we've ever we've ever seen, right? I, I think they've just done too many. It's like my tag team cage match rant on on the on the Survivor Series volume, man. It's like these matches are great. Stop doing them every fucking week. That's it. I disagree. Spectacle is everything in wrestling. This like you can have cruiserweight, you can have flying, you can have technical ability. Like I go off and gush over Chris Benoit for a reason because he's so damn good. But when it works and when spectacle marries with intensity and with ability, you get Chris Benoit versus Chris Jericho. Chris Benoit is in this match as a tour de force, and then you marry it up with the tarantula walls of Jericho as an iconic, you know, spot and this iconic visual. I think this match is easily top three matches of the year. Um, that being said, I have tried and I have tried and I've tried. I cannot get on board with the tag team match being on, on here. I, I can't see how it becomes, how it elevates into being a all time great match, which being nominated for one of this award is, should make that match, you know, get into that level of echelon. Um, and yeah, when it comes again, like again, I we disagree wholeheartedly, Eric, on the ladder match front. But what we do agree on is that both the singles matches with Stone Cold Steve Austin are excellently done pieces of of wrestling art. What I will say is that I think Austin Rock is done just a little bit better in every way than Angle Austin, but that's you know not saying a lot at all, really. The finish for Austin Rock is satisfying in a weird, you know, just how what the fuck have I watched moment rather than Angle Austin, which is, again, part of a greater long term story is absolutely called for. But in the moment, you're like, ah, God damn it. And, you know, the work rate with Austin, I think, is equally ferocious. But I think the Rock's gravitas being in front of an Astrodome in front of 67,000 people brings up a level again over angles brilliant but still very early great babyface run he had in the summer and the early autumn and again i think in terms of importance angle austin is the sub main event of a summer slam which is again a great match but is it as important as the two biggest megastars of the decade in rock and austin facing each other at least in their peak of their powers in terms of popularity and pop culture relevance it isn't really and when you look i do think we have i do like to take into account everything when we look at a match quality storyline importance how enjoyment you got out of it i think that matches the best of the year lacy off your roll Seeing that only one of these matches were in my free pick ballot, I'm going to go with the one that I put in and, and my justification on why so, which was the Benoit Jericho ladder match. Because this was the first one 
in a good couple of years where they didn't use it as a massive car crash. There wasn't the big flips through a table or pushing out sort of the big massive things. It was more akin to the Sean Razor matches from WrestleMania 10 where they worked with the ladder, not off it and things like that. It's a great match and I have great memories of just watching it and being like, fuck me, someone's actually doing a ladder match differently and it was great to see it. The, I'm going to pick on a couple of the others that are in there. So the Benoit Jericho Austin Hunter match. From what I remember, it was all right. And Trips breaks leg. So are we are we are we are we going into this because Trips broke his leg? Is that how that got in there? Because you know he kept going for another five minutes with a fucked leg. Because it, it's nowhere near TLC two. It's nowhere near RVD Hardy. You know there are there's there's nowhere near a Benoit Angle match. There are so many more better matches than that. It was a a good TV match, but the only the only reason people will remember this is it's the one where Hunter fucked his leg up and kept going. Austin Angle. Great match, but it wasn't wasn't the pinnacle for them. The pinnacle was the match September when Angle wins it. Just, I think the moment makes that one the better of the two because of what's just happened in the states and the the hero getting the win. But as Erica said, as Dan said the winner has got to be Austin Rock from Mania the main event of arguably the greatest show ever and as I said it's their best match that they've had together simple maths Chris White you've got some chasing down to do on Benoit Jericho I'm going to defend it a little bit in that I think it was a from fantastic match it was very crisp and they did use the ladder properly with really perfect psychology and I, I agree with Dan the visual of the walls on the ladder is properly iconic and, and one of I think the enduring images of WWF in 2001 that I remember is is that that so a little shout to that out to that that being said I don't it wasn't the best TLC was better than it for me I preferred TLC um than than that so i'm going to discount that from my my thinking um benoit jericho <coughs> versus austin and triple h from raw was brilliant work by all four men and i think also worth noting brilliant work from um both Heyman and jr um that that match was <laughs> the best tv match of the year in my opinion and probably eight to ten minutes away from being a legitimate contender for this i do think it was that good if we're going to use a a leg break being handled how it was for worst match and using that as a reason to shit all over a very bad match then i think the way that triple h handled his own injury here while 
albeit far less visible and uh, well visible in real time injury um obviously in some of the slow-mo replays is really quite gruesome um but uh i think we have to give this match and his ability to pull through and deliver in my opinion the best tv match of the year some credit which is why this match absolutely deserves a nomination for me Austin versus Angle at SummerSlam, I absolutely loved, as Eric has always already mentioned, but that goddamn finish really lets this match down in this category. You can listen to my full review of it in the August show. The match was just so good, and the, again, another visual of the year is when Kurt has the ankle lock on and he's covered in blood and he's screaming at Austin to tap. It's just like, it's the best match of his career to date, but the finish is so WCW. But JR couldn't have done a better job at selling that finish but it does undercut the the chances of me voting for it in this category. And we get to the clear winner. I can't forget, and I will never forget, how I felt watching the main event of WrestleMania. Um, it's as invested as I've ever been in professional wrestling, and uh, it was a 30-minute classic on the best pay-per-view I've ever seen. Um, it's probably not the best worked match of 2001, but... I've rooted for spectacle matches in this category before, and I'm going to go through it again. Rock and Austin at WrestleMania 17 is my match of the year. Whoa. So a vote then, Eric. Yeah. Rock Austin at, at Mania, I think, but fair shot to Austin and Angle and um, go back and watch Benoit Angle at Mania too. One of the best stories that have ever, ever been told and really, Paul Heyman won uh, announcer of the year just by the the story that he told during that match. But it, it's Rock Austin for sure. He's not letting that one go. Dan Welling, your choice from for best match? Rock and Austin. Bring it home, Lacey. RVD Jeff Hardy. <laughs> All right. Rock Austin. <laughs> I explained many, many hours ago what the rules were. So Rock Austin takes it 4-0, which I'm maybe a little bit surprised by. Austin Angle not getting a pick here is a little disappointing from a personal perspective because that was my number one match of the year and I didn't have a problem with the DQ finish either. In the third act of Uncle Vanya, if he's successful when he's running around the stage with a shotgun, you don't get his redemption speech in Act 4. And here, if Angle does win at SummerSlam, he is a victorious in front of his home crowd the next month, even allowing for everything else. But you can't begrudge Rock Austin the biggest match we have ever seen in the eight years we've been doing this at the biggest show we will likely ever see. Now, the two names who are touchstones for the era that's really kicked our show into full gear over the last four years, main eventing WrestleMania, our version, if you like, of WrestleMania six, again, multiplied many, many times. I didn't think it would be this clear cut, but taking this award, Nobody sensible should begrudge it. I like to think I'm fairly sensible most of the time. Final award. Oh, we got there. MVP, our top everything of the year. This includes their in-ring work, and Chris White, it includes their personality as well. But for the first time since we've done this, MVP and Worker of the Year, it's exactly the same three people. Angle, Austin, RVD. The Rock won this award at a canter last year. He wasn't here at all this time. He got one solitary third place vote. So, Eric, I'll come to you very quickly, just for about 30 seconds on the rock knots getting in here. 
You brought up that he had go away heat for you. Do you think in some some degree we now just take him for granted or is there something worse going on here as well? Just very quickly before we get to the proper vote. No, I think he's annoying and I think he was gone for half the year. And I think he looks he sounds really, really great and looks really, really great when he's up against some of the other people. But you put him on the stick next to Angle, you put him on the stick next to Austin, you put him, you know, in the ring against some of these other people. And he's just not up to he's just not up to par. He's really popular and I get it and people like him, but he's not the MVP. Nowhere close this year. Let's go to who is. And I'm going to let Chris White kick us off with, as always, for MVP, open discussion. Come in whenever you like. Talk over each other. Kick each other in the shins. Whatever you feel you need to to make your case for MVP of the year between Kurt Angle, Steve Austin and Rob Van Dam. Chris White, you're up. I mean, this is no detriment to Kurt Angle and Rob Van Dam, but I think this is as much as Slam Dunk Award as best show. I think Austin this year in the build, it's, it's no surprise to me that both true contenders for the best feud really had Stone Cold Steve Austin at the heart of them and playing two different characters, nonetheless. The, the, the character we saw, the obsessed, but still a baby face, as much as Austin is ever a baby face, but the obsessed, I must do everything I can to regain this title, leading to him shaking that hand, Vince McMahon, Stone Cold Steve Austin is one of the most enthralling characters I've encountered in wrestling. And then it's not so much a reinvention, but it's a notable change in the, in the character for the second half of the year from that point on. And again, it, it changes a few times and we get segments like the, the milk truck with, with angle, but that segment's as much about Austin as it is angle. Um, For me, I think this is the, clearest cut MVP we've ever had and considering with Austin in the past it's been a slam dunk and things like that I I, I think Angle's been exceptional Rob Van Dam's been very good but I, I just I've never seen anyone as good as Stone Cold Steve Austin in 2001 I'm not queuing anybody up you come in whenever you wish all, all I want to say is Take any of these three out of 2001 and and tell me what you're left with. You take Steve Austin out of 2001, it, it's un, it's unthinkable. And he he every show, almost every show the entire year was built around him and he delivered every single time. Angle and RVD, no complaints whatsoever both fabulous in the roles and gosh angle made a late push for you know to firmly uh sew up second place in this i think but yeah i'm with chris white i don't think that there's ever been a clear cut mvp in any of the years that this show has been going it's steve austin even i the the fanboy of RVD know that this year he's just there to make up the numbers he is he is the third place between Angle and Austin yes I know I can I can tell all of you are mouths agaped by that statement Austin uh, it is just right the rumble 
Austin wins it. Austin has a great rumble. Kane may be the MVP of the rumble itself, but it's all about Austin. The Austin running with Hunter in the title match. You then get the three stages of hell. You then get that build for that mania. You've then got the two-man power trip, which I fucking enjoyed. I liked it. It was a good way of using Austin as a heel and putting him with someone who is a heel. Um, You then get the start of the invasion and what's going on with Stone Cold. I know we've said about it, why did they not just wait until they had actual their own stars? But if you're going to put someone on the alliance to to be credible, giving them Austin, or obviously there is their guy, and technically yes, he has history with both WCW and ECW, but he didn't, you know, regrain any of that sort of things. So, you know, you go back to stunning Steve Austin, or you know the crazed Austin from ECW, which would have been nice. It would have been a, a, a few callbacks to to that earlier earlier in his career for that and then you know I know we all shit on it on the Survivor Series show but that last couple of weeks it was the whole oh was Austin turning is Austin the mole and then the Austin going through the WCW team the Alliance team trying to find out who it was going to turn and the comedy with Angle and Vince. Yeah, Austin, fucking hands down. I will go and maybe make an argument here because we've now clearly established that Austin is the MVP of 2001. There's no denying that. He's also won the MVP of 1997 to 1999. Is he WWF's greatest ever wrestler because I can't think of anybody who's brought in the fans that he's had he's had one of the greatest matches ever in WWF well let me tell you Um, something brother yeah I was just going to say that if we were started back in the 80s I I think Hogan gets a fucking win because from 84 through to 92 Hogan wins every fucking year. The business was so different then. It wasn't week to week, month to month the way it is now. I think it's almost, not defending Hogan here, it's almost an unfair comparison. It is, and there would definitely be some contrarian votes for Flair in like 86. Like I think there are years in there where it's like Hogan and Savage and Hogan and Flair and Hogan and Warrior, right? I I don't think, Dan, I agree with you. I I don't think there's been any one year that's as clear as this in the history of, of really modern pro wrestling going back i guess to the early 80s um but no i I think i think hogan hogan and austin is a really good conversation to have um but yeah i see your point yeah i mean we all know my thoughts on hulk hogan in wcw but you know there's no denying what he brought and and turned what wrestling into but if we look at what we judge like all of these awards about personality and pro mobility austin can compete with hogan but there's no question that he's a better um wrestler than hogan in terms of what matches he's delivered and what 
extra dimensions to a character he brings. Like Hulk Hogan could do one thing brilliantly and it works and it drew in the bank. But Austin has done, you know, throughout his this year, he's done, you know, you, you could argue in the first month or two, he was still doing um, run of the mill Stone Cold that drew him, got him so much success in 1998. He then does obsessed, power-hungry WWF champion for, you know, March until May, June time. He then does comedy with guitars and cowboy hats and hugs. He then goes fully insane in July to September and brings about what? As a catchphrase that has literally now become synonymous with weekly television shows. If someone's boring, they chant what? Like that's Stone Cold's doing, and it's uh, I, that's why I think he is the greatest because I think Hogan was a product that he did brilliantly, but I think Austin's an artist as a wrestler, and I do think this is probably his, the 2001 as a ma- as a artistic character study is Austin's masterpiece, and then you add in all of the matches that we discussed and we didn't talk about Three Stages of Hell. We didn't talk. I, I talked about we that, that match of Benoit. Put the salt back in the barrel, you two. <laughs> I just think this 2001 is Austin, Austin's masterpiece. And I'm gutted that he's just gone back to being standard Stone Cold in yeah. December. It's just not the same. And the reason it's not the same is because they're trying to make it the same. And it does feel a bit after the Lord Mayor's show, following the eight months we were given. And... It is such an understatement to say that he went above and beyond with what he was asked to do. You talk about your Psalms, you talk about Austin 316. Listen to Luke Sermon 6. If one of the occupation troops forces you to carry his pack one kilometre, carry it two. Austin has carried it 2,000 kilometres, every single Raw, SmackDown and pay-per-view from WrestleMania all the way to the roar after survivor series and not everybody likes this new incarnation of austin had a few discussions in this very household about it which is maybe we could do a special show on that one day in addition to austin versus hogan but he has been revelatory and i don't want to be the person to say i wasn't sure he had it in him but to a kind of degree i did because he had been the old stone cold for three and a half years now and revolutionize the business allowing us to keep on doing this podcast people being out there to listen to us for example and being asked to turn heel the risk that that was it was monumental and it did take a few weeks if you go back and listen to our april show the one i did with bob and with peter none of us outright say it but we heavily intimate that well maybe he should just blast vince with a stunner after all and we'll go back to where we were but they didn't do that they stayed the course And from the end of April onwards, and he's building each and every week, he's getting it all together, and Triple H goes down with the injury. Austin is really flying on his own. Eric, you said it best on the June June show, where everybody else is cast out into one side, apart from Vince McMahon. And that hug they give each other in the car park, you could almost see the transformation passing through Austin's soul. From that point onwards, up until the middle of November, is some of the greatest character work you will see in any form of entertainment, not just pro wrestling, 
his level of facial expressions, the delivery of his promos, his articulacy, how he just embodied that character, did get people to boo him, regardless of what the revisionist historians will tell you. It was a resounding success in every single way. Box office be damned. Again, that's another discussion. But I, much like Dan, I just, I thought that they could have got more out of it. And they still haven't explained why he's gone back to the inverted commas babyface Steve Austin. Didn't explain it on the Raw after Survivor Series. No explanation at the end of November. Nothing in December afterwards. And when I saw he was just sharing beers with Flair on that show afterwards, I was like, oh, this again out of nowhere, really? But it does nothing, nothing whatsoever to take away that he is the MVP of this year. One quick question, guys, before we wrap up, because Dan's brought it up there. He's won it four years now. I don't think any of us thought, though, 12 months ago that he was going to win it again. Now he has switched characters. I don't see him turning back heel in 2002. But even with that taken into consideration, can he win it again next year? He's already the front runner, right? (laughs) I mean, I I feel like anything... Well, again, I'm being biased because I love this year so much. But I feel like anything he does in 2002 will just feel inadequate agreed and by nature of what happens i feel like we'll always go for someone who's pushed on another level or has been uh, we don't compare it and i think that lends itself to people like angle a returning triple h chris jericho um or even rvd who may kick on even more than what he's done this year um so i i, I would be surprised if he does to be honest with you I, I don't know. I I, I, I kind of I, I see I see all of your point, uh, but I do think that at this point, kind of like the tag division with the Dudleys, like it's his to lose, and until he loses it, uh, I'm going to assume that it's going to be Austin's. And like I don't go into the year thinking like Austin has to show me why he's not the MVP, or somebody else has to show me why Austin's not the MVP. But I do think that he can continue to win this award because we've seen how flexible he can be with his character this year and with his work. And let's say they heat up the rock as a strong heel uh, angle as a strong heel. They've got a bunch of the WCW guys like ready to go with their time Warner contracts coming up. So that could be something as well. Like I think we can have a face Austin as long as they have a strong heel roster. That was kind of what bit him in late 98 going through 99. But, yeah, I don't know. I think he can definitely still win it. But I I take your point, Dan, that, like, there's not necessarily a clear path forward for him based on how the last six weeks of the year went. Two Chris's, I'll bring you in to finish on this. I do hope that in this iteration, he doesn't win it next year, if you get what I'm saying. But I can't see past it. The wonderfully weird world of wrestling can throw out anything. Because if you take where we were last year, did we think that WCW really would be dead? Did we think that ECW would truly be dead? You know, we there was obviously with the ECW side, we were thinking, you know, shit, it's bad, but surely they'll they'll come out of it. WCW, shit, it's bad, but surely Bischoff will buy it. We didn't see this year coming who the fuck knows what we're going to get next year this is the the thing i i 
am never one to sort of try and predict shit 12 months in advance you know yeah Austin could have another stellar year but who knows what we're going to get next year who knows as we said who's fucking who's going to come in from the old Time Warner deals who's going to you know break out they, they may have some guys in OVW that come up and amaze they may have guys come in from Japan there are so many other things that can happen that can just change everything I don't I don't think we can we can say it's anything is certain Chris White the whole show is now going to be closed by you in a couple of minutes time we've been here a very long very very <laughs> a whole night almost a whole morning's worth but Austin MVP now Austin MVP next year I'm going to let you take it as you will as you said I wouldn't have pegged him as the favourite last December for, for 2001 and he has come off the back of in my book the single best year I've seen a, a wrestler have and and to, to weigh in very briefly on the, the Hogan Austin debate I think it's it's just too generational it's, it's what you grew up on and I'm someone who who didn't by the time I started watching wrestling, Hogan was gone from the WWF. So there's an element of I can never fairly judge that. You know, I can't look back now and having been exposed to the wrestling that I've been exposed to and the characters and the, the styles of wrestling that I love and truly fairly judge that era of Hogan. And Austin will always be above him for me for that. But I, I, if someone has the opposite to that, and, and they grew up on Hogan in the Fed, then I, I can't really critique that, you know. Um, but for me, from the wrestling I've seen, Stone Cold Steve Austin has had the single best year I've ever seen any wrestler have. And regardless of present storylines, I can't bet against that guy for MVP the next year. Because he's been better than he was in any of the years where he's won it previously. He's won it four times. And let's face facts, like, there's only one company now. And unless he's injured, he's going to be all over these shows. And I can't see a scenario where a healthy Austin isn't the best guy in the business. And I don't really want to be proven wrong because such is my passion for just and respect for how good this guy is um and I, I, yeah i said it earlier but i think just to close on him winning mvp in 2001 is a slam dunk as an award as wrestlemania winning best show i think we're witnessing in my book this year which i think we'd all agree has not been the most stellar year but we have had the greatest pay-per-view i've ever seen and the single best year from a wrestler i've ever seen in terms of overall character and work. And I suppose with a bit of hindsight and perspective, then maybe 2001 hasn't been all that bad from a wrestling side of things. Because we've been incredibly lucky to have both of those things happen in the same year. The best show. The most important match. The greatest character. There you go, I said it. All happened 
in 2001. I'd need to go back and redo my intro. And that is the end of the 2001 award show. It is. And I should say, everybody, that was quite the saga getting through that one, beset by technical problems. Hopefully, when this all comes out in the edit, you wouldn't have known about it until I mention it here. But a bit of light and magic and all of that. Let me thank my panellists for the north face of the Iger ascending that we have done in the last three and a half hours. Chris Lacey, bravo, my man. Disappointed that my boy again walks away with uh, nothing. But it's why I came to you first. But at least, at least Matt Heyman got his win. Heyman, hey, at least you know, all is not lost in Team ECW. Heyman could be winning this again in 19, 20 years' time. Yeah, some yeah, just somebody out there. <laughs> to be fair, I think by that point he's winning MVP, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Per- got to win personality with one personality so yeah straight to mvp as i'm sure chris white will be happy to hear i'm looking forward to his run for worker <laughs> oh, yeah, that, hey, co- coming up next matches <laughs> chris white thank you so much for your contributions today my friend and the last seven years yeah, it's, seven been years. A, it's been an absolute pleasure and yeah thank you for steering us through another uh, chaotic opinionated <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, everybody just about kept it together. I think Welling bore the sharpest teeth, though. Did you not, sir? I'm sorry. The Jericho hate just ambushed me completely. I I just couldn't handle it at the end. So I do apologise, Eric. But yes. Jericho hate for 2021 when it really counts. I was going to say, I think history has borne out uh, my (laughs) side of the uh, opinion on that. I try not to allow current day bias my views too much in timeline, but there are one or two people, let's say, where it's very difficult to look past. Jericho might be getting close to that level. The, the COVID god? I'm here all night. <laughs> well, we're fucking not. It's 20 past three, but recorded for nearly four hours. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, just well done, my friend, for just staying the course with us in general, really, in the five years that you've been doing this. And... We call upon you, as you said in timeline, we make sure that you are readily invited to the award show each and every year. And once again, I think you proved why, sir. Yeah, actually, uh, two years ago, I was like very ill when we did our award show to the extent oh. that by the end of the episode, I, I didn't have a voice left. Um, and last year, 2000 was just really kind of a rough year overall, I think, to come up with some decisions on this category. So this is really the first, like super personally enjoyable awards show top to bottom that i've had in a little while and most of that was you know like i said personal circumstances but this is just an absolute great show and yeah i think that i think that yeah it's it's we've seen we've seen the peak of the mountain in a lot of ways here and and the, the slow descent down now begins i think it does not that i want to put anybody else off for the who knows how many remaining shows? Don't worry, there'll be a good few, everybody. But we have talked about this, and I really do hope that 2002, there's a lot happening on screen, as we already know. So we're not going to be struggling for content, but I do hope that Messrs. Keller and Meltzer did their thing during 02 because we don't really have the through line story to talk about anymore. You can plot, of course, from Luger at SummerSlam 93 to the end of the invasion. 
and all the stopping points in between. And that's the story we've been telling month to month live as if it's been happening. I don't think we've really got too much of that going forward now. And how we handle 2002 is a source of great intrigue to me. That's how I'm going to put it for now. Again, I wouldn't want anybody else in the trenches with me, but all of our guests and contributors that we have on the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. So we're going to be okay, but listeners, we might need your help to get through it. Can I count on you for that? <laughs> yeah, of course I can. But for now, though, as we close out another year, anything anybody else wants to say, any plugs, any mentions, any references before we finally shut this one down? Yeah, I will just chuck out. Um, I have a new thing where I do a comic book show on the, the YouTubes. Um, on the Renaissance Men feed, Seven Laces Comic Stash shows up on Sundays, sort of an hour or so. You get to see my face, I do it on video and everything, and just talking shit about comic books. It's great. Get to see your face, eh? I know. Yeah, I've just got so used to the Skype pitch I'm looking at right now, the impassively staring into the middle distance with your cap on. Uh, I always don't want to. I don't want to see that face animated. <laughs> That that's such an old Petrus with tiny beard as well. By your standards, maybe. <laughs> Anything else anybody wants to say? Good year, man. Really good year. I think we did some excellent work with WCW this year. I, I think the more that I listen to other people, this is this is my self plug, right? But Rory, like, and everybody else, like, the more that I listen to everybody else cover WCW, objectively, I don't know that anybody's done it better. Good, good job, us. Setting my heart a flutter. Messrs. White and Welling, I'm going to give you a chance to shut things down as well because we're, we're all just gushing here, so I wouldn't want you to miss this uh, this phone party. Yeah, I, I just think uh, some of the stuff, as Eric says, that we've done this year with the way we handled WCW and all of the episodes that came out across March and, and into April and then just having to change format because two companies went away and uh, all keeping engaged. And I think having the sort of like rotational uh, hosts and stuff has worked really well because there's just less shit to trudge through. And if you do have a bit of a dud month or like a, some, some not so pleasant stuff to discuss, you haven't got to strap up and go again the next month when you're sort of morale's low, you can take a month off and, I, I think the show quality has probably benefited from that. And I, 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 I it, like you say, I think we've come into sort of the end of like an era for the show, really, with the end of the invasion and with 2001 in the books. But I don't think we've ever been better either. So um, I, I, I know us in the horizon in 2002. We've, we've peaked in terms of what we've got to cover, but I, I think we're doing some of the best shows we've ever had under this podcast Dan 2002 is coming up how do you feel about it uh eight months baby got eight months to go until two momentous things happen which Mm -hmm. I'm so looking forward to no hints whatsoever there Rory (laughs) consider yourself booked Mr Welling for that one (laughs) I'm sure a good listener you do know what he is talking about but during the course of the timeline not allowed to give you any clues whatsoever. Just like Lacey, his references to people who may or may not be coming over from their Time Warner contracts or coming up from OBW, he said during Timeline. Whatever could he mean? Where did he pull that one from? 
we'll just have to wait and see everybody thank you so much for listening to this show in particular we know it was a long one and everything that you've been with us through on 2001 probably the most fascinating year we've done certainly in the course of this project with me as a presenter and putting all these things together bit of a leap of faith for 2002 it must be said but stick with us we're going to make sure that all the programming is going to be absolutely top-notch because i do agree with mr white i don't think the shows have been any better than our recent run in fact just to them all Take the time now before our Royal Rumble show. Go back and listen from Royal Rumble 01 all the way to our Vengeance show. Listen to this one one more time, then be ready for Royal Rumble 2002, because we all will be as well. But just suffice to say, we will be back in 2002. Don't think we're bringing the curtain down just yet. Might need to make a couple of tweaks here and there, but it's going to happen. So stick with us. From Chris White, from Dan Welling, from Chris Lacey, Eric Landstrom, I have been Rory McNamara, and we will see you in 2002. Attracted by the lights Listen to the jazz in Harry's bar And I know it won't be long Before they play that song Do you know how wonderful you are It's a sentimental sound Make me want to fool around with somebody who is wishing on a star. I'll pull my hat down low, go up and say hello. Do you know how wonderful?